0: Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around. You'll be glad you did.
1: You are here for me to enlighten you. If you ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent, base. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know your lines, then you can forget them. I get it. It's very clever. <laughs>
0: Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. My name is Jason Peters, a.k.a. The Notorious JRP, and with me, as always, is the man who once gave up all of his earthly possessions and lived for an entire year off the grid... Mr. Ryan Seabold, what's up, Jason? How's it going, buddy? Not bad, man. Not bad. I'm doing good in my comfy suburban palace, which of course is a uh, very modest 1,200 square foot three bedroom in the valley. Uh, and bushy bitch, way to rub <laughs> it in. <laughs> and I know that, like I said, that's uh that's virtually. Uh, royalty-like conditions for someone such as yourself that lived off the grid for a year. Tell us all about that. Well, you know, (laughs) during the pandemic, uh, there was this influx of
2: people that wanted to move to Florida, Um, and escape uh, certain COVID restrictions and things. And so our state got really crowded. And so uh, the only place to go when you get demoted from Florida is completely off the grid (laughs) altogether. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Only one place to go. There's only
2: one place to go from there.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, So I am now living in a refrigerator box. Um, (laughs) Coming at you live from a box and uh, nowhere Florida Um, yeah yeah well I've I've moved outside of Florida actually I'm uh okay yeah I'm just off I'm just across the border uh over the panhandle in uh lovely Alabama off the grid in Alabama but don't tell anyone I'm kind of hiding out here Oh, um, off, the, off
1: the grid in Alabama is my favorite Leonard Skinner album. Off the grid in Alabama <laughs> is my
2: favorite. Yes, absolutely. Oh, by the way, I've got a roommate. We're sharing this refrigerator box. It's um, a little, oh snap, no way. It's a little cozy, but you know, it's a Maytag. It's nice. We did some uh, renovations to it, uh, building a little fort. It's my buddy M J Smith. Hey, everybody, my hey, friend M J Smith. What's up, M J Smith?
1: That's crazy, so uh so when did you move in there, MJ.? Yeah, I've been here for about six months, um, <laughs> just to uh, also escape COVID retri- restrictions, actually.
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're uh, you know, we're like the odd couple of refrigerator boxes. Um, yeah, I- nice. I-, I don't know who's who. We're both kind of sloppy, but you know the, the box gets uh, cluttered quick. We just do the best we can.
1: Yeah, it is a Maytag, though, so we won't ever have to repair it.
0: That's true. Nice, yeah, nice. Yeah, nice if you reliable. will, though, uh, uh, if you could kind of maybe, you know, I'm wondering what the inside of this palatial sounding box uh, looks like. You know, maybe maybe you guys could sort of provide a little color as to uh, the decor and the general overall uh, it's brown. decorations that you guys have gone. Yep, it's brown. It's brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you guys have not like hung
1: any pictures or anything or like even like drawn on the walls? No. Well, we do have, we we have an 8x10 of the Farrah Fawcett poster.
0: That's right. Yep. All hail Farah. The right. Farah faucet poser. We yes. all know which one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The one. Is the it one kind of, is... Is... It's it's, is it, it's is actually it... the dividing line. So it's hung right in the middle, and that's, what that's how it. I know. Yeah. yeah.
0: Stay on your side, buddy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was
0: gonna, I was gonna ask if it was like covering some sort of like cool you know tunneling operation a la Shawshank or something, but no. no it sounds like it's just operating as like a cubicle divider. We
2: yeah. have no running water, but we have a wonderful Farah faucet.
0: <laughs> so wait, who actually gets to stare at oh, I Feel we like they shifts. got the, they def
2: <laughs> Yeah, shifts. we we take turns. Uh you t- turn around, it's like turn around and then yeah. I do my thing and then I, just, I then I'll turn around and then he does his thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so it's like a little bit more obscured each time it comes back around. It's a little bit less visible Farah. <laughs> That's true. That's true.
2: Um, and you guys should get like a
0: some sort of like a, I don't know, like a turnstile, something that like, you know, it's it's on some sort of hinge or something and it just rotates like a like, fan or something. You
2: know, I, I think you're uh, at that point we should just get a house, uh, you know, yeah. the joys of <laughs> so the joys of me, the box, you know, is that it's you're, a box.
1: You're talking about adding a big Farrah faucet fan, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 Yeah, no. Well, see because here's the thing. I feel like you guys I feel like you guys
0: are, are are limiting yourselves by not considering that you can go get another Maytag box, tear down the fourth wall Whoa. in a very Scorsese-like Whoa. fashion and then, you know, do a double wide, so to speak. That seems
1: like a lot. How
2: of rich work. do you think I am? I <laughs> I'm on a podcast, Jason.
1: <laughs> We're not
0: yeah, podcasts barpenters. don't lend themselves to double wides i suppose i don't have i
2: don't have a uh, second box money i don't know what you're talking about this is crazy <laughs>
0: well so mj mj let me ask you so yeah. somehow despite living in this box you are able to run not one but two podcasts yeah. please tell our listeners about uh, those for us
1: sure uh so the first one is called let's jaws for a minute and it is a uh, minute by minute breakdown of my favorite film of all time, Jaws. Uh, I co host that with Sarah Buttery, who is based in the UK. She's a film journalist out there. Um, and it is, it's kind of our pandemic baby, um, was just kind of born out of us needing to do something uh, in the pandemic and <laughs> settled on that for some reason. Um, I have no idea what she means. Yeah, (laughs) some of Um, us uh, watched many movies.
2: You just found one movie and decided to talk about that one movie. Yeah, and watch it one
1: minute at a time each week. Um, Nice. I have, you know, it's funny uh, since we started the show, the amount that I've watched Jaws start to finish has dwindled significantly. (laughs) To the it's it's only been a single digit amount of times when usually it's usually you know multiple times a year. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so we are rapidly approaching the end of Jaws. Uh, Oh, wow. Next month will be done. So uh, in April of 2022. Uh, depending oh, wow. on who you're listening to this, yeah. So, we're, have you
0: guys, you know, looked past that? You know, is that kind of the end of the podcast? Does it evolve into something else? It does evolve like,
1: into something else. Uh, okay, great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when we are announcing what the specifics are of it. So, I will just plug the Twitter and the Instagram, cool. which is at Jaws for a minute on both uh, Instagram and Twitter um, because the the future of the show sort of rests in the audience's hands. It will continue no matter what, but they get to kind of decide the direction it will go first after we're done with Jaws. So Cool. um, All right. Excellent.
2: If there's one thing I could say about my roommate, uh, MJ, it's that... uh, he uh, all the time he just says i think we're gonna need a bigger box i, we're need a bigger box. <laughs> yeah. I get it true. buddy i get it you have a jaws podcast yeah. <laughs> but his show yeah. is great i'm a big fan jason's a big fan that's why we had you on we couldn't wait to uh meet you in person talk a little bit uh mj jason and i have all been following each other on twitter for quite some time now and yeah. uh blowing up each other's spots so it's about time that we collaborated and uh
0: uh, brought each other here on our yeah, show. Absolutely. We appreciate having you on. And uh, actually, so today's film, which, you know, if you're listening, you probably have seen the title and know what we're discussing. But uh, there's a little bit of history here in that MJ actually specifically wanted to talk about this film. So he kind of put out, uh, if I remember correctly, it was sort of like a joking, not joking tweet about really wanting to talk about Color of Money and mm-hmm. specifically some of the uh, aspects about it and wishing there was a place to do that. And lo and behold, that's just the type of film that we look at right here, here on Esoterica Cinema. And he's part of, uh, you know, like I said, our little Twitter family that, uh, you know, it also has Cameron from Green Shirt, Jesse from Sudden But Inevitable, A bunch of people that you've seen or heard on the show before. So we decided to have him on to talk about The Color of Money from Martin Scorsese, 1986. We're going to go to Ryan for a description. The Color of Money, 1986, is described as a former pool hustler.
2: Fast Eddie Felsen, played by Paul Newman, decides he wants to return to the game by taking a pupil. He meets talented but green Vincent Loria, played by Tom Cruise, and proposes a partnership. As a tour pool halls, Eddie teaches Vincent the tricks of scamming, but he eventually grows frustrated with Vincent's showboat antics, leading to an argument and a falling out. Eddie takes up playing again and soon crosses paths with Vincent as an opponent. Jason
0: and MJ, what did you guys think about this movie? (laughs) Well, MJ, let me go ahead and uh, set this up real quick first. We're going to do, we have an entire episode to get into exactly. Why you feel the way you feel about this movie? But first, we're gonna play a quick trailer sure. for *The Color of Money*. Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, in a Martin Scorsese picture. He's got the eye. He's got the stroke. He's got the flake. And since the best, we got a racehorse here,
2: a thoroughbred. You make him feel good, I teach him how to run. I'm not your daddy, I'm not your boyfriend, so don't be playing
1: games with me. I'm your partner. I love this.
2: You're an incredible flake. But that's a gift.
1: money the lost money hey,
2: hey, oh, come fix him. i got half of me that says i got a hold of the best thing that i ever seen and half of me that says it just ain't worth it why'd right you now. take a walk 500 bucks says you choked right now you used
1: me yes i did i'm gonna leave ah. this is fast eddie felson who the hell are you 25 years ago i won my share of medals
2: but it was over for me before it really got started
1: See some heavy legend action. I won his best game. You want my game? You couldn't deal with my game, Jack. You're outmanned. I'm gonna beat him, you know. What makes you so sure? Touchstone
0: pictures presents. You smell what I smell. I smell. You smoke? Money. The color of money. All right, so before we actually get into the film, quick survey, Ryan, have you seen The Hustler? I have. Okay, MJ, have you seen The Hustler?
1: Yeah, so that's actually how we got here, is I watched them both back-to-back on the same day.
2: Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Okay, Mi- cool. Minute by
1: minute? Not minute? Well, I mean, each minute happens sequentially, but... Yeah. Uh, that's the way time works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, same. I did not watch them back-to-back in terms of, like, one after the other, but I watched them five days apart or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I ended up, uh, as, I'm, as I'm popular or as I'm known for – Talking about on the old uh, show here, the uh, Red Envelope Netflix had both of them. And so I was able to uh, rent them. Go physical media. Nice. And yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about The Hustler today in our conversation as well. I will let you guys know that I actually really enjoyed this film and I did not necessarily know what to expect. Uh, I had heard on, you know, just throughout kind of. Discussions with different people, you know, there's some people that feel like it's a strong film, but then there's a lot of people that feel like it's maybe, you know, lesser Scorsese or, you know, mid-tier Scorsese at best. Uh, MJ, before we get into it, uh, just high level, what are your thoughts on the film overall? And, you know, what do you think about uh, some of those people that do consider consider it kind of like a lesser work, so to speak?
1: So I'd see, this was my second time watching Color of Money. Um, Okay. So... I had seen it once as a teenager because my dad really liked the movie and it's, it's got total dad movie energy more than, a, more <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. even yeah. down to the soundtrack yeah. with like heavy oh, Eric yeah. Clapton and all yeah. that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Robbie Robertson from the Kinks produced the music for it. Like that, it's total dad movie energy, but, um, I had kind of a unique perspective on it because my dad, my entire life, uh, was a bartender. So and so he bartended mainly in the 80s which is like when the movie takes place. So these like smoke-filled bar rooms uh yeah. were they were they were sort of they were definitely a second home to my dad, but they were for the first couple years of my life sort of a second home to me um mm-hmm. because he was so ingrained in like that bar culture in our town sure. that like my first birthday or second birthday was at the bar that he managed, um, <laughs> uh, after hours. So I, I grew up with maybe a little bit more knowledge than anyone else my age of like bar games, like darts and pool and stuff like that. So it's, it, sure. it so revisiting it as an adult, almost probably almost 16 years later. Uh, it was really weird how much it reminded me of my dad because we only watched the movie once together, but he, huh. he loved that movie. Um, yeah. so that was that was inspired. That inspired my rewatch. And then uh, my friend Aaron White from Feel and Film, that podcast, him and his crew did like a sports movie draft. And so he watched The Hustler and Color of Money back to back to see if he wanted to draft those movies. Okay. And it inspired me. I was like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen Color of Money in a minute. Like, And I've never seen The Hustler. So let me watch those two. So that's how I ended up at Color of Money. Um, nice. But, uh, yeah, it's... It's a real good movie. Um, it's re- <laughs> really well performed, and absolutely. Uh, I think it's really well written. I think it's really smartly written. I think I don't know if it's a lesser Scorsese movie. Uh, I don't think it is. I think it's just an overlooked Scorsese movie. And I mm-hmm. think it, you know, in the canon of the Scorsese movie, it it's pretty close to After Hours, which I think is also a, a kind of an overlooked. Scorsese movie. I don't. I have a hard time calling stuff lesser Scorsese because he's like the greatest American filmmaker who's ever (laughs) (laughs) Um, lived. No, I mean when this guy
2: lays up and makes par, he's still outperforming. You know, a lot of the rookies that are out there and uh, and giving us bangers. And um, you know, uh, you got. Michael Bauhaus, I think is Mm -hmm. how you say his name, the the cinematographer who gave us, you know, everything from Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, you know, all these things, Um, you know, coming in and and doing some of his early work here. And you could see twinges of where he was going to go. A lot of handheld, a lot of moving, tons Mm -hmm. of moving shots coming around pool tables and down into pool balls and overhead shots, looking down onto, like, there's a lot of uh, dynamic cinematography for how simple, of a task it is to film a pool game, he gives a lot of uh, you know impactful cinematography. Yes. You also have uh, the great Mary Elizabeth uh Master Antonio, I think is how you say her name. Mm-hmm. You got John Taturo out of nowhere. Yeah. I didn't even know he was in this, and Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. Both these yeah. guys just showed up <laughs> randomly. I didn't know they were in the film at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is either. my first viewing of this film. I had They're seen same. the hustler years ago in my Paul Newman phase when I was kind of just going through and, and watching Cool Hand Luke and you know a lot of his earlier work. Uh, When I was a kid, Um, I have not seen The Hustler uh, since then, and I had never seen this film. Uh, I think it is considered a lesser Scorsese film, maybe only because it wasn't necessarily hit. I don't think he said uh, it's my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but uh, it's my understanding that he didn't set out to make this. It was brought to him by Paul Newman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul Newman wanted him to make this film because uh, of the way he directed um, uh, Jake LaMotta. Uh, the Jake <laughs> LaMotta uh, biopic of Raging Bull, and uh, he wanted to bring that intensity to a uh, comeback of Fast Ed, his Fast Eddie character from The Hustler. Mm. Um, Paul Newman was kind of in a bit of a renaissance, being an older actor. Uh, he was 60 years old when he made this, um, and uh, yeah. And, and, you know, Tom Cruise was just coming off of filming Top Gun. So this is wow. very early wow. Tom Cruise. Tom, uh, Top Gun uh, <laughs> had, hadn't had even been released yet when this got filmed. So um, kind of, you know, as much as we could look at, you know, all this as Tom Cruise and blah, 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 and all these people in it. They were all unknowns aside from Paul Newman. Paul yeah. Newman uh, wanted to get this film made, Approached Scorsese. Uh, obviously, Scorsese can't turn down a Paul Newman, uh, <laughs>
0: you know, opportunity. Yeah. So here we go. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to dive into this. Uh, We're going to start as we do. Where, Ryan? At the beginning. at the beginning. So after a quick close up of a cigarette in an ashtray with Martin Scorsese voiceover, that's right. He's the guy who kicks off the film. We open on a close up of dark brown liquor resting in a lowball glass. The camera tracks down the bar as a raspy voice is heard in voiceover, extolling the virtues of fine spirits. Now, a shot is poured by a man for a woman whose face we see relishing the drink provided to her by the gentleman across the bar. That gentleman is soon revealed to be Fast Eddie Felson, the same Eddie Felson that acted as the protagonist in The Hustler some 25 years before. Now, before we get into the actual film itself, there is one aspect that I kind of want to go into that I feel like differentiates... The Hustler and The Color of Money, and I want to see what you guys think about that. And that's the overall aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So having watched The Hustler very recently, there's no way to detach the music and the visuals from the film itself. It's really part of the experience. And the cool thing, I think, about The Color of Money is it's no different. However... The aesthetic that the original Hustler ties itself to is this black and white, cool jazz kind of motif. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and and there's a lot of heavy drinking and there's a lot of, um, you know, machismo and, you know, kind of sullen, lonely sorts. And then when you compare that to The Color of Money, The Color of Money sort of very much leans into what I'll call like the 80s aesthetic, right? With a lot of the then, you know, Eric Clapton music. Um, It kind of looks like, like the entire film kind of looks like the cover of Huey Lewis's uh, sports album, right? It's just got that that vibe to it, right? Like to the point that they maybe even used that as a reference, you know? So So, it's interesting because... You know, real quick, just they—they they both have different aesthetics, but I would argue that they both lean into them to the same degree. How do you think that works for and against the films, respectively? Well, Ryan, I, go ahead. I think *Color of Money* has cocaine. And that's like, yeah. the
2: big. <laughs> let's just go right to it. And it's mentioned actually in the film, uh, Paul Newman is kind of a fish out of water. Uh, whereas, you know, in the hustler, he kind of plays the Tom Cruise character, more or less the young buck yeah. kind of upstart. And, um, you know, now he's the Jackie Gleason kind of old, old, uh, uh, timey guy. That's a bit of a fish out of water. And, and he's trying to find his way in this 80, 1980s world as a 60 some odd year old man. Um, but Uh, And, you know, like you said, Jason, uh, the the black and white hustler, you know, uh, is really old timey and kind of feels very vintage and classic. Um, And Mm -hmm. this is sex fueled, um, you know, horny as fuck. Uh, You know, from the time he's uh, Paul Newman pours the whiskey and, uh, uh, you know, gives it to his love interest um, at the bar, the bartender or bar manager. Um, It's I mean, that's a very sexy scene. And he even talks about like. I'll, you know, I, uh, let's go home. I'll make you breakfast. Uh, I'm going to, you know, she's like, I'll make you omelets. He's like, no, I'll make the omelets. And I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, all these like innuendos about, you know, th- sex and, and uh, liquor. And then later on drugs um, makes it very uh, disco eighties studio 54 vibe to it. Mm-hmm. That none of that was in the
1: hustle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul Newman pulls in this movie left and right. And like he's constantly <laughs> yeah. got uh very attractive woman on his shoulders or on his arm. Uh, not on his shoulders. It's not like a, a pool fight. Um,
0: <laughs> like they're at like a kiss show. Yeah. He's got her like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Show us your uh, boobs. Um,
1: <laughs> so, yeah. And, and the thing is, Paul Newman was hot his entire career. Like yeah. there's, there's not a, a, like, have you guys seen Hudsucker? Physically as
0: well as stature wise. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Have you guys seen Hudsucker Proxy?
0: I have. have. Yeah. Okay. So 100%. there's this. I love that movie. It's that's one of my favorite movie. Coen Brothers. Films.
1: It's great. I, yeah. It's we, great. we have it
0: on our master list of films. Oh, then. good. Mayful one day. That's
1: another for, overlooked for the Coen kids. Brothers movie. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Co written by Sam Raimi. Um, yeah. And that's
0: nuts. I forgot that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's why Bruce Campbell's in it. Um, Makes sense. And uh, he, there's a scene in that movie where he gets a massage and he's shirtless in it. And that's years after Color of Money, even. And I was like, I've never looked that good with my shirt off ever, let alone well into my 60s while I look that good with my shirt off.
2: Yeah. I I wrote in my notes here um, that anything now that uh, includes uh, Robert Redford or Paul Newman is now known as the Orgasmoverse. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because those are like the two sexiest men that have ever existed in the history of cinema. Yes. uh, Sure,
0: yeah. That's why the that's why Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid was such a big hit. I,
2: yeah, I can't watch that. I come immediately. It just
0: happens. <laughs> right away. The Sting can't as well.
1: It. The Sting as well, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, Absolutely. And uh, oh, he's not. I love yet. the Sting. Oh, it's great. So fun. Jaws connection there. Actually, Jaws Connection in The Hustler. Um uh Murray Hamilton is who plays Mayor Larry Vaughn in Jaws. Mm-hmm. plays the guy. They go to his house and play uh, billiards in his basement, and billiards is an Eddie's game. Oh, uh-huh. That's yeah. that's the same.
2: Oh. oh wow! Look at that. It all comes so, together. Uh, <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together.
0: Right. By the way, MJ. Uh, so there's there's this kind of like I don't know. I guess you could call it a feature. It's maybe just more of like sort of like a running gag that we do. Okay. Uh, every now and then it comes up very organically, and it's called. <clears throat>
1: Cinematic confession. Oh no! Okay. Here we go. Yeah,
0: and it's basically when something comes up and and you like have to admit to the public at large that you like more than likely it's like you ha- we haven't seen a movie. That's pretty much what it is like ninety eight percent of the time. Um, so my cinematic confession for the day is that I've never seen The Sting. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, no, dude, I know. get on
2: that shit. Yeah, yeah I such I a know. good. Yeah. Movie. Everybody
0: tells me, dude. Like really that's good. definitely like a top five. Like get most shit for not seeing film. It's so
2: good. And uh, I'm a big um, fan of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid as well, although the uh, raindrops keep falling on my head scene. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> it's so weird. Ugh, I will do I fight to, that scene I until my second? dying day.
0: Do I have to do a second? confession. Oh, no. Jason. <laughs> wow. Really? Why would I, I mean, I just, you know, I've never really I wasn't into Robert Redford. And, and so, yeah, why would I watch Butch Cassidy as well? Sure. Well, I haven't seen that one either. Here's the thing. I think that you need to go sit
2: down with your wife and explain to her that you can no longer <laughs> consider yourself a straight cisgender male until you've seen this movie or either of those. To know your feelings towards men, because <laughs> <laughs> that is the culmination Which of you the felt share Up until
1: yeah. this point, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, I have a question, Ryan. Does Does Brad Pitt, since he is just aging into Robert Redford, count as a continuation of the Orgasmoverse?
2: verse? Oof. um, I think I think he's uh, or, verse adjacent. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Be- should,
0: we, should we just, like, pour a bunch of Cosmopolitans and, like, rank the super hunks? Uh, do- should we hey, do that? Those aren't raindrops <laughs> falling on your head, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's much <my jizz>. is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. It was so subtle. I was like, what could Ryan possibly be talking about? And then you clarify, oh, right, the jism. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah.
2: That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got nothing. I wish I had something against
0: it. <laughs> Okay, so let me ask you guys then. Where does Forrest Whitaker and his lazy eye rank on the attractive meter? You know what? Is he like a seven? Is he a four? Like, where is he? Uh, I'm asking.
1: I, don't, I, I have not really thought about the physical attractiveness of <laughs> Forrest Whitaker that much because he's never been portrayed. Apparently, like, apparently
0: I've waded into some yeah. waters that I was not supposed to. Everyone's like, bro, are you really talking shit about Forrest? My oh, man, yeah, Forrest? And I'm hey. like... I'm hey. sorry, guys. I didn't realize he was like an untouchable national treasure. We talk shit about everybody on yeah. this show. Hey, if, if my dick falls into a
2: forest and no one's around to hear it, <laughs> that's none of your business. Does it make I, a Whitaker? God, it makes a little Whitaker, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an old
1: saying somewhere.
2: Yeah, so yeah, I think you're
1: yep. right. I do think Forrest, like, I think everyone's kind of pretty hot in this movie. Um, So even, even Forrest, like, he's, like, got this cool leather jacket on and he's just got this, like, he's, like, this pool hustler dude who like pulls one over on Eddie we'll get there but um he's like really smooth in this movie.
2: <laughs> Helen Shaver? Yeah. Uh Helen Shaver who plays um Paul Newman's love interest mm-hmm. throughout the film um smoking hot. Uh and yeah. I had to look her up. I was like who is this woman? And uh she actually played the voice of Littlefoot's mom in a Land Before <laughs> <laughs> Time.
1: <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so there's some Oedipal something going on between me yeah, and right. uh, Littlefoot's <laughs> mom, but uh, hey,
0: what are you gonna do? That's hilarious. It's so funny. Uh,
2: Mary Elizabeth uh, Master Antonio, who mm-hmm. we know uh, from Scarface and and many yeah. other uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, um, which was a weird uh, tie-in to uh, one of our last films, The Beast of War, because uh, the director of that, yeah. Kevin Reynolds, directed. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So, this is the Kevin Reynolds averse, uh, I guess, as well. But uh, yeah, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, Antonio, smoking hot, inner yeah. prime, everything's good. Um, totally. And I, I love that we're going down the list talking about the attractiveness of all these people. And Tom, <laughs> Tom Cruise hasn't even come to, yeah. up yet. Whatever. Yeah, this little dude named Tom Cruise
0: is nah, in it whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, he's been fawned on for his entire life, dude. He's yeah. got plenty of adulation. Yeah, he's fine. Whatever. Dude, yeah. Mary. This is
1: also this is Mary Elizabeth Master, uh, Master Antonio's second movie ever that she's like a speaking role in. Like,
2: yeah, yeah. It's Scarface. And she crushes. Yeah,
1: that Scarface and Color of Money are her first two movies. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. She's really good. Yeah. I was just going to say, this is like totally a coincidence, I believe. But I do think it's funny. I just realized now that she has strong Mary Elizabeth Winstead energy. Yeah. There's a Mary Elizabeth thing there. A little bit. Yeah. 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 We'll just leave it at (laughs) that. Now, we also got John Turturro. So when the film actually opens. So, yeah. 30 minutes into this convo, when the film opens, (laughs) uh, we've got John Turturro, and he's basically like... Uh, you know, trying to hustle some young kid and he's going to Eddie to bankroll him. So right off the bat, we kind of realize like, oh, OK, you know, having watched The Hustler where George C. Scott was the bankroll character, mm-hmm. it's now so many years later. He's, you know, backed off from the game. He's bankrolling their young upstarts, passing the torch, so to speak. And who is Mr. Julian is the name of John Turturro's character playing? Uh, but Vince, played by young Mr. Tom Cruise, with his winning smile and cocksure attitude, uh, he's got the very loud personality, which is very much in strong contrast to Eddie's cool, which I thought was interesting, you know? Also, in, uh,
2: in contrast to the Phil Collins' One More Night uh, <laughs> soundtrack
0: playing in the background. Not Phil much. Collins features heavily in this soundtrack, yeah. I Not how I would it. have
2: opened a film like this. That was a very strong <laughs> statement. Uh, the but slowest... again, going back to what you said, Ryan, cocaine. Yeah.
0: No, so but this is go. like
2: the most mellow Phil Collins song of all time. One more. We'll night.
0: see. This is after they've been like doing it for 24 hours, and they're ready to go to sleep. Okay, that's and so, fair, you know. That's fair, <laughs> but yeah. they just can't quite. But they're we're like, yeah, the let's comedown. bring it down. It's loud.
2: But you're gonna open your film. <laughs> you're gonna open a Scorsese film on a. Well, I guess this is kind of Scorsese's Coke come down era. Yeah, so it is. Era. Yeah, exactly. That, <laughs> it that totally
1: fits. totally, totally. <laughs> <fits.
2: laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna get into this a little bit, but uh, I do think there's a, a strong. Through point throughout this film, where you know Scorsese makes special uh, s- s- significant statements through the voice of Fast Eddie talking about cocaine and the travails mm. thereof. Um, and sure. Rob- Robbie Robertson as well, who uh MJ you mentioned um does the soundtrack for this film from right. the, band. the band. Um, oh, uh, Scorsese I, would like directed... issue, uh,
1: I would like to issue a correction. I called him, I said he was in the kinks earlier. He's in the band, I don't know why. I oh, was, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, so he was in the band. Scorsese directed uh, their last performance as a live show, The Last Waltz. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Which Ryan has also done a couple times. I have. Spoiler alert. Ryan Ryan does a couple film projects himself, and one of them is uh, he readed The Last Waltz for, what was the band, Ryan? Uh, Have Gun, Will Travel. Uh, Those are your
2: boys, right? Yeah. Bands came in from all over the southeast to uh, step in for the roles of all the different uh, band members. Uh, so, you've got uh, people coming in as Van Morrison and Joni Mitchell and that's Bob Dylan. And all the, All of that. Yeah. yeah, I'll send you a link when we're done. It's yeah. on YouTube. It's sick. I put a lot of work into it and we won uh, awards for it. And, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's very so, is it, it's, it's the very same very cool.
1: set list and everything?
2: Same exact set list oh, of, from the so movie. That's cool. uh, We shot it on Airy Alexa's with uh, Cook Prime lenses and the whole bit. And we got a master feed from the board and had the soundtrack remastered in a studio. It's really that's well done. Dope, and it's something man. I'm very that's proud awesome. of. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had a full brass section, the whole bit. So, uh, yeah, I'll send you a link when we're done on Twitter. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, if you're out there, uh, go check out Have Gun, Will Travels, The Last Waltz, Live at the Palladium. Uh, I've done it twice, but um, but the Live at the Palladium is the best uh, version there. You filmed so, it at the
1: Hollywood Palladium?
2: Uh, no, it, oh. uh, here in uh, Florida. Oh, we have uh, okay. a Palladium a theater here as well. But uh, anyway, it. yeah, so all that to say, Robbie Robertson, uh, also very well known to be – into the cocaína in yeah. the seventies. Um, I know Van Morrison, uh, there's a notorious story. That's why he was doing the high kicks for, uh, turn up the radio on the last waltz. Cause he was all, he had just done a blasted a bunch of cocaine in the yeah. back and came out and ripped it. So, um, yeah, I think there was <laughs> all that to say, coming back to the film, I think there was a strong, uh, anti eighties vibe going on in the way of fast Eddie as the voice of Scorsese. That was my
0: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of interesting too. So, uh, let's. I'll touch on that in just a moment here. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. We we do we do have an interesting sort of moment where Eddie approaches Carmen and you know asks her if Vince is willing to play him for five hundred dollars, right? And she's sort of taken aback. It it's a huge sum. She doesn't really know what to make of that. And that's sort of his lead in into saying like, hey, you know, you guys don't really, you've never you never had someone like me. This is how professionals do it. Uh, you don't know what you're doing, obviously. You know, let me take you under my wing. Try like trying to sort of. Uh, plant those seeds, right? That are going to pay off in a little bit. Now, we soon learned that Vince has, you know, a really sort of crappy retail job. And Eddie soon convinces him and Carmen to basically hit the road with him for six weeks so he can teach him all about hustling. That's going to kind of set up our movie proper. Now, you guys were touching on just a minute ago about the whole nature of, you know, cocaine and commentary, etc. One thing that I thought was very interesting about this film is watching The Hustler, the element of alcoholism, And the prevalence of alcohol in The Hustler is is inextricably linked to the story, right? It is part Mm -hmm. of the fabric of the characters. Everybody's an alcoholic, right? Yeah. And it, it, it falls in line. So, and just like every single scene, somebody's drinking, right? Like... Paul Newman and his love interest, you know, arguably, it's it's almost sort of like a little bit of, like, yeah, that addict relationship where it's the substance bringing them together more than, yeah. you know, necessarily well, their personalities. You,
1: you get a lot of scenes, like, when, when, um, when Eddie's playing Minnesota Fats, like, they're, they're constantly going to their managers and giving them money to go get them more booze to keep them, yeah. going, like, <laughs> almost like it's keeping them going through their marathon play sessions, yeah. which, like, I don't know how you're not falling over yourself at a certain point, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, and Eddie does at some point, yeah, right? Yeah. That's where he loses after that first stretch because he basically, like, can't hang, and, you know, yeah. that's where they kind of go into the the whole concept of where it's more about – it's not just about talent. It's not just – you know, you can be the best at pool, but if you don't know how to manage the game and the personalities and the endurance, yeah. and you know, there's this whole other aspect of success than just raw talent, right? Well, yeah. there's a line in this particular
2: about. film, uh, Color of Money, where uh, Fast Eddie says to Tom Cruise's character, Vincent um, – you know, you kids because uh, he asked him why he's not playing or whatever. And he's like, the, the game's different now. You guys are all on uh, cocaine and speed when back in my yeah. day, it was alcohol and liquor. And uh, that was a more of a human element. And I knew what I was dealing with. Now it's all chemical or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so
2: he he even references that himself. To your point, Jason, you know, that was
0: actually brought up
2: and in, and in, uh, in this
0: film. Sure. But the interesting thing about this film specifically is that. And I'm sure this is kind of your whole point that you're talking about, but it specifically goes out of its way to tie itself to a substance, whether it's cocaine, whether it's alcohol. It's not a part of the fabric of this, except to sort of talk about it. Right. That's fair. Again, we don't there's not it's not in the Hustler. Every scene, someone is drinking. You don't you even the couple times. First of all, I think it's just the John Turturro character that actually is doing cocaine. I don't think anybody else does throughout the whole thing. Mm -mm. And we never see him. No. It's only ever talked about and it's, it's always that thing yeah. of like, yeah, Paul Newman's like, ah, you got a little on your nose there, right? Like, right. they don't even give yeah. us a close up to see it, right? Mm-mm. Which would speak to what you're talking about in terms of maybe this was when Scorsese was starting to get sober and right. not wanting to glamorize it, right? Mm-hmm. And just, you know, going out of his way to not make it look cool and seem cool and all that sort of stuff, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think Nine Ball, the game at the heart of this film, is – almost the bigger symbol for how the world has changed around Eddie. Because mm, mm-hmm. if you, if the hustler ends with him, basically vowing to never play again, essentially, yeah. like he's, he's, he, he gets basically banned from the sport um, through some, you know, not so savory characters. And mm-hmm. in this time, we've gone from playing this like very elegant, very strategic tactical, game of eight ball to this more fast paced kind of you know like sexier game of nine ball you can you can end a game of nine ball faster you can you know there's there's more uh things you can do to kind of get the game over with a lot quicker there's less balls on the table everyone's going for the same the same number ball um on their turn and also an important rule of nine ball uh which by the way i'm glad that they don't do a lengthy like exposition dump to explain the rules of nine ball uh, yeah. in it. I, I think it's, it's. I love when a movie's just like, hey, if you're interested, you'll look this up. I, I mean, I know there was no internet then, but it it, <laughs> it it doesn't really matter the rules of the game. It matters who's playing it and why they're doing what they're doing. Sure. Yeah,
0: and, and, and Newman does, uh, or I suppose Eddie, uh, he does lament the fact that, you know, it's kind of like a stripped down version mm-hmm. of the classic game, like once or twice. You know, he makes those references. And yeah, I think it does sort of speak to a larger maybe reflection of the current times being that sort of like immediate gratification right mm-hmm. that would just go on to be exacerbated over time until today you know 2021 where it's just like the utmost version of that right but you know it's like okay well let's let's take out some balls so we can get the games over with quicker we can flip through them faster right um it's let's you to know televise. do some speed yeah yeah, let's do some speed and some coke and so we can, you know, speed through that and like I feel like there's a certain uh, lamenting the fact that the slower pace, the slower lifestyle kind of isn't appreciated anymore and everything's fast, fast go-go 80s, right? That would just continue.
2: It kind of was reminiscent to me um, about how like Remember when poker got really popular a few years ago and the World yeah, Poker I was Tournament the same and all thing. of that? Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. totally. When I was a kid, it was all five-card studs, yeah. seven-card, and then all of a sudden it got to Texas Hold'em, where you get two yeah. cards and you're playing against the dealer and what he throws down. And it was just a more streamlined version of mm-hmm. the same thing. You're still building the same... Uh, hands and whatnot, but you're not doing it with five or seven cards. You have to do it with two and bet against what's hidden, and and there's more strategy, but it's a little more streamlined, uh, which then, again, makes it easier to televise and makes it sexier and faster-paced and all these things. That's a really so, good point. Yeah, and, um, you know, in that same vein, that nine ball kind of made pool cool again. Um, you know, Texas Hold'em, all of a sudden, you got the World Series of Poker, yeah. and that was this big sexified thing uh, just a few years ago. Wonder what ever happened to that. <laughs> I mean, I know it still exists, but uh, yeah. the, the world's interest kind of fizzled, I guess. We're on to something new. Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, and it's interesting because I w- so you kind of bringing that up. I think that one aspect that we might be kind of overlooking and what a lot of people are responding to is the increased element of chance and luck and mm-hmm. specifically how that relates to more surprises. Right. Because there is that scene at the, top, at the very, very top with Martin Scorsese's voiceover, like we said, and one of the lines that he says is, you know, he does this whole little explanation about nine ball, and his final line is that in nine ball, luck plays a huge part in everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's the same for Texas Hold'em, right? Where because you have less cards in your control, there's a lot more, you know, luck with regards to what cards get flipped. So there's a lot more instances where someone can be in pole position and then at the last minute that gets flipped, and that's when you get that very big dramatic finish that we all love to see, right? Absolutely. So I think there's probably an element of that with regards to the fact that because they talk about how in nine balls someone could go one through eight, miss nine, and then the one person can hit nine and win.
1: Yeah. So uh <coughs> yeah, I'll talk about this. Um so I play <laughs> I play pinball competitively. Um oh wow. Nice. That's, that's cool. awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I'm in, I'm in a league and I play in <laughs> tournaments and stuff. Um, I just played in a tournament yesterday and, nice, dude. uh, <laughs> that definitely has happened in pinball. And like mm. the cool thing about that is we've, if you go to major tournaments, they have like the classics area and then they have the, like the main tournament and the main tournament is usually like a mix of classics and new stuff. And but the just the classic stuff, it's a very slower play. it's a much slower playing game. You get five balls instead of three. Um, it's usually like hit this one target. Now that it's down, hit this other target to make that target pop up. Now hit this. with these new games, they're way faster. They have these crazy rule sets on them. You know, the new games have LCD screens on them that, that can play like clip, they're all licensed titles now. So you know, if you play Guardians of the Galaxy, you're getting clips from the movie and call outs from the cast and stuff like that. But there's been a big uh, shift in the rule sets because each machine, I think a lot of people don't know this, each machine has its own specific set of rules. Um, Hmm. It's not just flip the flippers and hit the things. So each machine is kind of designed to have this, it's not quite rubber banding, but like to where it could come down to one ball at the end. So if you're playing a four player game in a tournament and you're 100 million ahead of someone, you're not really guaranteed a win there like these games are designed to be played competitively and you see with the increase of people streaming their pinball tournaments more and more games like this and there's even like you said you can run one through eight and hit the nine some games have incorporated this thing called lock stealing so to get a multi-ball where you're playing with two or three balls at once on the play field which you know that increases your opportunity to score points you can you can set up this happened to me yesterday there's a game called Total Nuclear Annihilation. You can you lock two balls and then if you don't convert, those balls stay in the lock and the next person can come and take that multiball from you. And that's exactly oh, wow. what happened to me. Uh, oh, I, man. <laughs> I, I finished my, I finished my ball and I was like, well, I left you a present and he was like, "Hey, thanks." And like totally, <laughs> he totally did what anyone would do in that situation. He sniped the multiball off of me and won by like a million points. <laughs> like, wow. yeah. So, the, the more and more games are starting to incorporate that that lock stealing element. And like uh, there's there's even some games that will they won't they won't even go lock stealing, but like if you get a, a certain mystery award in a game, it will take another ball From a player, so that player then has two balls instead of three, and you have four instead of three. (laughs) That's hardcore. It's like the Dark Souls of pinball. Yeah, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's getting more like brutal. The 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 more like interest there is on like streaming and watching pinball tournaments and stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, all uh, all in the name of viewership, right? Yeah, Give, yeah. give, the, pe- give the people a show. Yeah, that's, that's what exactly what it
1: is. It's it's all like, and all three of those instances we described, like pinball, nine ball, and poker, like it's all in the name of reaching a broadcast audience to generate interest yeah. in the thing. Because they're like, re- I mean, it's all three of those are pretty niche like interests. Sure, right?
0: totally interesting. So let's get back to the film here. And at this point, like I said, we've got. Vince and Carmen having agreed to go on this sort of, you know, tour to learn about hustling. And Eddie takes them to a pool hall. Well, to his old pool hall. We get a a funny little moment where it's been converted into a furniture warehouse, right? So they're like, ah, we got to go find another one. They do. And Vince is taking it easy on this old man who has emphysema, if not outright like a hole in his throat from smoking, I believe even. And... Eddie is like, you know what? I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what this guy is. You're playing a game. It's competition. You can't ease up on the uh, you can't ease up on your opponents just because they may be a little bit, you know, pitiable or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he even gets up and sort of leaves him to get beat up just to sort of teach him a lesson here. Now, there is that sort of brings up an interesting aspect, uh, sort of a higher level conversation real quick. I don't know how familiar you guys are with Paul Newman's. Later stage of his career, but uh, I'm kind of late to the Paul Newman game. Obviously, I told, you know, there's those two films of his I haven't even seen with Robert Redford. Um, I have seen Cool Hand Luke. I've seen The Hustler, you know, so I'm starting to get more involved, but there's still some blind spots there. Regardless, I do think it's interesting to note that out of the performances I've seen, younger Paul Newman was definitely a softer kind of guy. Right. He was very charming. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even in cool hand Luke, like he's rebellious without being like violent about it. Right. Like um, and, 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 and as we start to look at his uh, performances that he did color of money. And after that, right. Even popping up, you know what, 15 years later in like road to perdition, Mm -hmm. for example, um, he plays he plays these much harder characters, you know, they tend to be, I think, much more violent, more aggressive, more controlling. Um, they're definitely not the fun, breezy guys who's like, hey, what's up? Blah, blah, blah. Right. They have a grittiness. Um, do you, you know, do do you think that was. First of all, you know, do you guys agree with that assessment that that or do you think it's just a couple examples? And B, you know, why do you think he went in that direction or do you think do you know anything about his career that he sort of experienced hardship that led to him taking on those roles? I mean, what's your response to that?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I but I mean, it even shows up in like Cars, right? Like he's like the gruff old mentor guy. He's almost I mean, he's almost the fast Eddie uh to to, you know, Lightning McQueen in that movie, which is a weird uh you know, comparison. To <laughs> yeah, me. even We're in this kid's movie, movie,
0: he's playing this archetype. right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and he's like, he's kind of gruff. He kind of like, you know, he's he's kind of hard on lightning in 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 his training on him. Uh, I wow, I did not realize how similar the character was to Fast <laughs> uh, until right now. Until I forgot he was even in the movie when I was until I looked up his his filmography. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, he he was pretty successful throughout. Like, he's in you know, the Hudsucker proxy. And then he doesn't have a lot between 1994 and 2002. Like it's sporadic. And maybe the movie isn't as like, or the movies aren't as well known as they once were. Um Yeah. But he, I mean, you know, the Newman's own brand was really successful. So he was still like, he was still a household name, I think in, until he died. Totally. So yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was just, those are the types of roles that started getting offered to him. And he decided to start taking them or if he got jaded along the way. Yeah,
0: that'd yeah, be interesting to know. And uh, it's kind of interesting from there as well, because we do get a scene where, and and again, I'll, I'll kind of send this to you guys too, which is the exact nature of his relationship with the Carmen character, right? Because I I think that he's going out of his way to be... You know, to 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 get a distance, but maybe there's sort of like an internal desire there or something, because it kind of seems like he contradicts himself at times. Where you know, there's the one scene where he he goes in and she's you know watching TV in her underwear, and he's like, ah, get dressed, and she's like, ah, I am dressed, and he you know sort of very forcefully has this sort of like, hey, knock this shit off, right? Like you're you know you're Vince's girl, like nothing's gonna happen between us, da da da, right? Like. We're business partners. We've got to keep this professional. Um, But again, it's not like one of those scenes where, you know, you can kind of tell that there's a lingering desire there. Like, he's very, very forceful about, like, knock this shit off. Right. But then so but then in the in the next scene, it seems like he's like unnecessarily handsy with her when they're hustling the people Mm. in the bar. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering, you know, do you guys think that's just his way of being like a super professional and that was misinterpreted on my end because to your point this movie is kind of horny right so is you know is there an attraction there or is it all just an act is it somewhere in the middle what do you think's going on between you know the dynamic of Carmen and Eddie
2: I I personally was wondering that the entire time Um, yeah you know there's a scene uh, about uh, when they first hit the road where he or he's trying to convince him to hit the road rather in the in the beginning of the film where um, there's a couple at the bar and he is betting uh, Tom Cruise and uh, his girl, you know, the, basically saying, I bet that that man in within one minute is going to get rejected and leave. And then, oh, he says, yeah, uh-huh. I bet I could leave the bar with her in two minutes and then, sure. you know, wins that bet um and then later we find out um in a dialogue i think it's in the scene you're describing right now jason where uh when he's talking um to mary elizabeth master Antonio um about that uh, situation he admits to having known them and um and the whole thing was a hustle so it's kind of led on that this guy is He's going to do what he needs to do to get done what he wants to get done. He's a divisive character. And though he seems to have a certain uh, moral code of sorts um, there, he's also going to do what he needs to do. He's a hustler. Um, And so... In the same way that he would hustle at pool, he treats life kind of the same way and manipulates people within a certain boundary. And I think that, uh, you know, some of these scenes, I kind of just took it at face value like that. Like he's a hustler and he's going to whether that's sexuality or, um, he, you know, he's going to look at a scene and see what he needs to do to you know, kind of move the pieces around like a chess game. He's always yeah. calculating. And so, uh, and it seems like um, uh, Mary Elizabeth, uh, Master Antonio's character is very much of the same ilk in her own way. Yeah. And so if she could use her sexuality, uh, Carmen is her name. I keep uh, calling, uh, <laughs> just to kind of abbreviate, it's, that's it's be... easier.
0: It's, it's a mouthful. Yeah, it's going to be a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carmen's two syllables.
2: Old Mary syllables over there. Yeah, uh, Mary syllables. Uh, you know, if she could use her body or her sexuality to manipulate, you know, she even admits to doing that with uh, Vincent's character, Tom yeah. um, Cruise. That she, you know, met him in jail after robbing his parents' house, and yeah. um, you know, uh, she's still wearing. Her, his mother's necklace and uh, Vinny is so. Dumb and clueless, that he says, "Oh, my mom has one just like that, and she had taken <laughs> it from her jewelry box when uh, she had yeah. robbed it, and they had made it." Nice in, touch, yeah, coming
0: out of jail. So I think well, that it sounds on, like you're probably on team. Then, like he's just a professional doing what he needs. to do I think
2: Eddie and Carmen are of the same ilk, and I think they have that mutual respect for each other. They see that in each other. They game recognize game kind of thing, where it's like, okay. "Oh, okay, you're you're uh, you're a hustler. You're hustling this guy. I'm hustling this guy. So let's." team up and we can get out of this guy what we need to which is money
0: sure mj what about you
1: i think that this this aspect more than anything is where because i think you can watch color of money and not watch the hustler and be fine but i think this this in particular his dynamic with carmen is so informed by the events of the hustler so in the hustler he has this love interest sarah that he really falls for she's an alcoholic it's a very codependent relationship she kind of helps rehabilitate him after he gets his wrists broken um after doing something similar to vincent (laughs) and um you know just kind of hustling the wrong people and uh she really rehabilitates him he tries to rehabilitate her but at the same time he tries bringing her into this world and she doesn't want anything to do with it like she calls it like what twisted and crippled or whatever—that's what she writes yeah, and stick uh-huh. on the mirror. And she, which
0: by the way, she's crippled as well. She has like this club foot. Yeah, yeah. Which is a reference to that as well. Yeah,
1: and so she ends up getting sexually assaulted by uh, Paul Newman's manager. But is it George C. Scott that does it? Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. by George C. Mm-hmm. Scott, and then she commits suicide. So mm-hmm. he's—I mean—and that's that's that that sort of you know the f- showdown with Minnesota at the end. Is almost this vengeance, uh, or like avenging Sarah's death. And so I think that because he sees Carmen, and Carmen is kind of the opposite of Sarah, she's not this sort of, you know, easy to play the victim, easy to, you know, manipulate type of woman that he almost Mm -hmm. feels like he needs to break her down, not to be to the point where Sarah is, but to show her the reality. Like there's the part where he chases her into the shower, like he's going to assault her. And He's like, hey, calm down. Like, I just wanted to show you that this could happen. Like, you need to you need to not trust anyone ever. Basically, yeah. is 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 his uh, his assessment of her. And I think because he sees that hustler nature that they both have, he's saying, okay, I need to make sure she doesn't make some of the same mistakes I've made in the past, where I got too trusting and it led to someone's death, or I got I brought someone into this, Vincent who maybe is shouldn't be a part of this and it costs them their life
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah no that's absolutely. that's great i love that uh that dynamic i I hadn't really compared it to you know and and because i haven't seen the hustler in, in many years uh i probably sh- it deserves a rewatch but um yeah it's great it's real good yeah i i really i i like that that element too because like you said mj this this movie stands on its own very well mm-hmm. uh scorsese kind of at you know Lends his own voice to this whole thing, so uh it's separated from that but um it's easy to forget that this character you know has a past that we know of you know,
0: and that you could bring to this this uh discussion absolutely. Yeah. And then from there, we do get a very nice montage of Vince starting to hustle where it's like he's starting to get into it. I think we even get You guys can correct me. Was that a was that an Iggy pop sighting that I saw? Probably. I think it was.
2: I think it was. Yes. (laughs)
0: And this is that sweet, uh, sweet Eric Clapton love right here. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, this is, that's the, that's the scene where the, uh, production's drug budget was substantially increased.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah Eric Clapton had not Eric given Clapton the cocaine at evolve. this point. Yeah. Eric Clapton not had not, sharing. not given the cocaine up yet. This is uh primetime cocaine, Eric Clapton. He's living in Miami recording albums. Yeah.
1: Letting Absolutely. kids drop out of balconies. Oh man, I wasn't gonna bring it up. Oh, I wasn't gonna bring it up. <laughs> Oof. That was two Brutal. years after this. Uh, oh, was wait. it really? So two it, or three years. It definitely yeah. was cocaine. <laughs> Pete cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: that because that's what caused him to sober up. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That'll do it. But that'll do
0: it right. every time. And uh yeah, and the other thing that we see is we start to see, you know, the continuing development of Martin Scorsese's visual language yeah. and I think that this is really like the film where it's going to be the template for what he would do with Goodfellas and for a lot of the way that he would film a lot of his projects in the 90s specifically mm-hmm. and And from, you know, like, Ryan, you touched on it earlier, like his camera is always moving. Right. And so instead of just, you know, lingering on a three shot, it's like it's going to start on a three shot and it's going to slowly, you know, push in and also kind of tilt a little bit. And, you know, it's going to finish as a close up on one of the characters. Right. Um, Also, you know, really using that zoom lens. But what's interesting is I I would love to know like relative to sort of the pantheon of visual language, when people started using zooms on, uh, you know, more of like an interpersonal level, right? Because we saw the zoom the zoom lens come out in like 60s and 70s cinema. And obviously you see it in a lot of like the police thrillers, right? And, you know, they're shooting stuff from rooftops and zooming into, you know, cars showing up. But what we started to see from there is that filmmakers started to incorporate using it in, you know, covering their close-ups. And so we, we really see the all of that sort of building to I think Goodfellas, like I said, is the most uh, pivotal example of the culmination of all of those sort of camera moves. Um, But we see a lot of it here and it's kind of interesting as well, because I think that there's a lot of filmmakers that were influenced from this style as well. And Ryan, we kind of talked about uh, this specifically, but uh Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights as uh, mm-hmm. I think is hugely hugely influenced by Scorsese's style and specifically with a lot of these camera movements when you watch Boogie Nights yeah. again there's no just simple close-ups everything's a a dolly in a push in you know um two shots going into one shots and so I think that also a, lot... a very
1: cocaine fueled movie <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Yeah yeah definitely and 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 travails even... thereof Yeah And even, you know, someone like Edgar Wright, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, utilizing a lot of these, but in a much different sort of way, right? You know, much Mm -hmm. more cartoonish and over the top. So it's just really interesting to see this very, because this is a a very traditional story, right? This could very easily have been a Hal Ashby movie shot entirely in wides and two and three shots. And it probably would have worked. Yeah. But,
2: you know. What, what what you're talking about, Jason? Because you're, you're differentiating a, a chapter in, in Scorsese's career, and I think uh, you know I brought it up at the top of the show. This is his first collaboration with uh, his DP, Michael Bauhaus, who shot Goodfellas, mm. who shot Le- Last Temptation, um, and uh, uh, no, you know, no, it isn't.
1: He shot After Hours.
2: Uh, did he shoot After Hours? Yeah. Okay, And did with shoot the After correction. Hours. Bam. I see that. Okay. Well, he is coming Either off way. of Michael yes. Chapman. Still uh, very early in their cinematography, with you know his early work with Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, right. and and so you know the to shift into uh, a, a new cinematographer and a new way of thinking visually. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that you're absolutely right. There is a differentiation in, in his career and how he's looking at things visually and and storytelling through camera. Um, you know, and and it's worth mentioning that when you're talking about. Oneers or long camera movements and things, um, very few people use those correctly. You <laughs> yeah. know, so, so often they're used <laughs> just as like a cool thing to do. I want to, yeah, I want this big oneer, this and that. But, um, you know, Scorsese uh, and Bauhaus, specifically, and in Goodfellas, and then also, like you said, Paul Thomas Anderson and Boogie Nights they're telling a story with that and they're introducing characters. There's never a moment where you feel like you're being dragged along by the hand to show me something like a child might do. Um, It's all very informative and very applicable to the story. Um, And it better be because those things take forever to set up and execute. And if you haven't gotten your coverage and you just expect (laughs) someone to like stick with this shot for a minute or longer on, on screen that can seem like an eternity in a cinema. So um, you know, there are people that have done this successfully and people who haven't now, I can't think in this movie, getting back to Color of Money, um, any real big, huge oners, but, uh, one. but there is a lot of camera movement. Go ahead. What you got? Uh, Werewolves of London. <laughs> Werewolves of London is Oh, a yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. As someone who has a minute-by-minute breakdown podcast of a Steven Spielberg movie, that motherfucker is the king of the sneaky one It There are okay. so <laughs> many Spielberg scenes Across his entire career, but in Jaws specifically, we were just like fuck. I, n- I never realized that this was a one a one shot uh, take. Like it, and it, yeah, it happens all the time in that movie, and it happens all the time in Jurassic Park. It happens damn near constantly in West Side Story, and to the point where we had people tagging us. Because we talk about all the time where we're like, this is one shot. Never noticed that. This is one shot. Never noticed that. We had people wow. tagging us in clips from West Side Story being like, I saw this movie twice in the theater. I didn't realize it was one shot until I, I listened to you guys talking about how much he does this and now looking at it, just an isolated clip. I've noticed he does it all the time in Bridge of Spies, which is not a movie that needs a bunch of wonders. It's just, it's just <laughs> people talking. Like that's the whole movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he, I've gotten very good at picking up on the sneaky one shot takes because of, of watching Jaws minute by minute. So werewolves of London is one. Um,
2: yeah. But that's why yeah, Warren nice. Zevon, uh, yeah. it, MJ's talking for those that haven't seen the film that are listening, uh, they, they there's a big, huge, uh, scene where Warren Zevon's werewolves of London is playing and, uh, which
0: by the way, I have to ask
1: you guys, what is your take on that song? I fucking love that song. I yeah. <laughs> I love Warren Zevon. Like that Same. whole album, Excitable Boy, I think it's a perfect album. It's top to bottom. Wow. It's Absolutely. a perfect album. And I love- 100% agree. Oh man, it's so, that album is so darkly funny, but it also has um, Accidentally Like a Martyr, which is like the most heartbreaking song I've ever heard. Um, and if you listen to his, oh, is it called Outside the Fire, his live album? Um, oh, I gotta find it in <laughs> the fire is that what it's called uh stand in the fire uh he dedicates yeah. accidentally like a martyr to marty scorsese in wow that, on that album
0: that's awesome
2: i didn't
1: know that but very no cool. I,
2: I i deeply appreciate uh warren, warren zavon and and uh and i deeply appreciate that song in particular it's a very overused song yeah um but it's one of those that it just for whatever reason um you know uh, like life on mars by david bowie or something like that it's one of those songs that just pops up randomly in films like this i don't care yeah i want it in all
0: of these kinds of films like
2: (laughs) it doesn't ever really wear off to me some of those films uh, some of those songs just never will and this is one of them
0: yeah yeah yeah. for sure cool how about you I am glad it worked for two of the three people on this program. (laughs) That's fair. No, 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 no. This is just like a a personal thing where I have, like, I, for whatever reason, hate that song. Like, I just, like, it's, I, there's certain songs where it's like, okay, look, man, like, I'm not asking you to do a, you know, progressive rock song. But, like, if you could maybe just switch up the note progression once throughout these entire three to four minutes, like, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> maybe nobody God. else here would, but I certainly would appreciate it, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and it's also, there's something about, I think, like, that, the just that sound, like, that sort of piano sound mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like, because the other song that inspires that reaction in me, which uh, I also get shit for is Crocodile Rock by Elton John.
1: <laughs> I, I cannot
0: stand that song and everyone's like, what? Like, I've literally had someone, I had a DJ pull me aside and literally like mansplain to me for seven minutes in music, it would be like musical explaining why Elton and John's Crocodile Rock is the quote-unquote perfect rock song and was like, it goes through these chords and then it goes through these progressions and then Elton hits this and blah, blah, blah and it's like, wow, people are really passionate passionate like Tucker and Dale passionate that's really yeah
2: I appreciate the callback. Um, I, I also hate Crocodile Rock. So
0: hey,
1: buddy! I have no strong uh, feelings about Crocodile Rock. I could take it or leave it. Like, if I never heard huh. it again, it would be fine. If I heard it tomorrow, it would also be fine.
0: <laughs> I didn't know there was, like, medium takes. I, felt, I thought everybody's take was strong on yeah. that one. Oh, <laughs> I'm very strong. Yeah, Very passionate. That's very fucking Okay, so
1: do you... Obviously, we all hate the Kid Rock song that borrows the riff, but do we also hate uh, Sweet Home Alabama?
0: No, Sweet Home Alabama is fine. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a classic song, right? I think it's no, even one of those songs. I'm, no, I'm anti. I'm, oh
2: I'm wow. An,
0: I mean, you know, I'm I,
2: although I am living here in my Maytag cardboard box, uh, I am <laughs> anti Sweet
0: Home Alabama. Uh, wow. I'm I mean, think, big, go ahead. I, so I was going to say, like, like it's definitely not a song I put on, right? right but right, it's right. it's but that's also like not necessarily my vibe. Um, sure. Is, you know, like piano-driven Southern rock, so. But if, if it comes on, not necessarily going to turn it off. I will say that there is an element, and Ryan, you, you very much know I'm this way, where it's like if something's overplayed or overexposed, like I'll develop a distaste for mm. it. So there is an element of that where it's like, okay, I, I can play. If you give me four minutes, I can sit here and play the entire song note for note in my head, right? right. Like my dad listened to KLOS growing up out here. Like I've heard that song hundreds of times probably. Yeah. So I never need to hear it again, but it's I've never thought it was a bad song. But it's well, similar. I get that. I,
2: I spent I spent several years, and here we go, Jason. You're going to chime in here, but I spent uh, several years of my childhood growing up in the South in Florida, <laughs> and um,
0: when he was wandering the roads with a knapsack, <laughs> yeah. looking for a family to call his own. Yeah. And living in St. Augustine,
2: which at the time isn't the quaint little tourist town that it is today. It was the Redneck Riviera. Um, there are some artists I will just never get over. And uh, Leonard Skinnerd I will never listen to again if I could avoid it. Jimmy okay. Buffett is another oh, one. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett can go right to hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and I hope, he has a, I hope he has a pop top waiting to step on when he gets there <laughs> to blow out his flip, to block, out his flip, flip uh, flop. Fuck yeah. that
1: guy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's That's funny uh yeah no i get it i mean uh so i'm from bakersfield california which we established that you guys know where that is we have so we are the birthplace of corn the band uh but (laughs) before that we were buck owens and merle haggard and like a lot of country music Uh, dwight yoakam uh dwight yoakam's from la is he really okay yeah yep he just was really good friends with buck owens Oh, that's fair. It's not like they're that
2: far away, dude. It's, yeah. a, it's an hour long yeah, drive. It is.
1: It is. <laughs> Actually, Dwight Yoakum has an excellent cover of Warren Zevon's song Carmelita. Uh, it's real fucking good. Um, it is
2: good. I've heard it.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll do, uh, I'll also,
2: uh, while we're on the topic, real quick, and then I'll give it back to you. Uh, the War on Drugs, mm-hmm. the band, uh, has an excellent cover of Accidentally Like a Marvel. Ooh,
1: in I didn't know that. I love The War on Drugs. I am yeah. definitely looking that up. It's on their live album. Oh, okay. Check it out. It's really good. Cool. Uh, so. That so I, I'm an audio engineer. We talk about that a lot on Let's Jaws for a minute. I work in live concert production. I worked at Buck Owens' venue for like four or five years, which was oh, dope. Wow. It was really cool to have that kind of like local history connection. Um But if I never hear Boot Scootin' Boogie again in my life, it will be too. <laughs> I'm with you on that. And I don't, I don't hate country music at all. I grew up listening to I don't, a lot of sure. country
2: music. So, but there's good
1: and there's bad, yeah. and there's over. Yeah. Uh,
2: I think there's overuse too, mm-hmm. and that's just one of those yeah. that I just don't need to hear. Yeah, again. exactly. Sweet, but wait, Sweet Home Alabama or Free Bird, yeah. you know, those are letter, those are Skynyrd songs. I don't ever need to hear again. Yeah, yeah. for sure.
1: Uh, but in but all, go ahead. I was gonna
0: say all of my favorite country songs are like the songs that are like 80 years old mm-hmm. and like blues riffs and just like a guy talking about like getting drunk and burying his wife's body. Yeah, those are the best ones. Those are all the best ones. Yep, uh, mm-hmm. they, they they almost always have a parenthetical with a second title, yeah. right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> like like our show, yeah,
1: yeah
0: exactly, right. It's like Hill, Hill Street Blues, like or Why I Had to Bury My Wife in a Shallow
1: Grave. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it's a proto Fallout Boy song, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Absolutely. the use of Werewolves of London in this scene is really jarring, and I think that's why I love it. It sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> it's such a flashy sequence too. But that said, I think it's a really good um, and we haven't really talked about Vincent. (laughs) So, you know, he's he's sort of at the center of the first half of the movie. And I think this is I so I don't know where you guys stand. In general, Tom Cruise, I think Tom Cruise is great. I think he's a very good movie star, like all caps movie star. Yeah, definitely. I miss when he used to act. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> as much as I love those Michigan Impossible movies, uh, he's just been Tom Cruise in all of them. Uh, right. But he's really- Yeah, we've talked
0: about this when we did uh, Born on the Fourth of July, how, you mm-hmm. know, before when he was younger, yeah, he was an actor. And now he's the guy who runs away from things or runs towards yes. things. and those right? movies but like,
1: are great. They're very entertaining. Sure, Yeah. He's a great action star too. Yeah. Like let's not take that away yeah, from yeah, him. Yeah.
0: Like he has a great screen presence mm-hmm. and you know as long as you can divorce yourself from some of his more uh, unfortunate realities sure. like and just take him for who he is on screen like he's
1: great. Yeah. You know, I'm never like, ugh, Tom Cruise, yeah, okay, yeah. to be a long 2 hours, yeah. right? But like watching this like ah, <laughs> oh, he's so fucking good in this movie, you guys. He's yeah. so right. good in it. Like just the 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 way he locks into that sort of like Really handsome, like never really had to struggle for anything in his life. Super cocksure attitude and like he's good at pool and he knows it uh, type of attitude. It's so great. And this is where it starts to kind of come crashing down around him. But before it happens, he hits the plateau of it first. And so I love this sequence because it shows like him plateau. And then immediately after is when Eddie ditches him with the car. And uh, like... I love the way that part is shot as well with the, the, the camera <laughs> mounted on the car, but uh, it just yeah, like it immediately nice comes crashing down around him and like, you know, where Rose of London is this real like upbeat, like catchy, goofy song. That's like, people don't take it too seriously. Eddie's not really taking this match too seriously, but it costs him yeah. hustling the rest of the, the, the hall, which is what he's supposed to be there to do. And yeah, that's like that, that, that part fundamentally changes the relationship between eddie and vince and so it's really it's a really great sequence to stick in the middle where it's like real fun like if you watch it it's very energetic it's very like in your face filmmaking and it's very like entertaining to watch and then you get hit with this harsh reality of like but it was a giant mistake and there are consequences (laughs) for
0: it and that's one of the recurring aspects of the film where you know his nature constantly gets the better of himself Mm -hmm. you know he can't just shut up he can't do the long con, he can't appear weak, right? Like, anytime and anytime he's starting to get into it, the moment somebody sort of, like, questions his manhood or his skill or whatever, he's like, I'll show you, buddy. And then he, like, drops the whole thing, and then Eddie gets pissed off and walks out. And that's really just all it's about is, you know, we really ultimately, at the end of the day, realize that, you know, Eddie doesn't really have too much to teach him. It's really just a matter of him getting to that point where he can sort of play the long con and, you know, not be so emotionally reactive. And I had wondered too, if maybe that's the reason why Paul Newman's character, Eddie is so handsy with Carmen in that one scene yeah. earlier on that we talked about is that it's like, look, dude, you'd really need to strengthen your resolve. So like, I'm going to put my hands all up on your woman and you still got to, you know, come through with this. And if you can't, you know, deal with this, then other people are going to have way more. They're going to be coming at you way harder than this. This is just a starting point. Right. So, uh, but again, you know, I still, I still do think there's a part of throughout the entire movie. It's never explicitly stated, but I think that Paul Newman through his performance does try to indicate to us that there's an element of Eddie that still wants to be, Tom Cruise's Vince, right? He was Vince and it was a sweet lifestyle and even though things kind of went tits up by the end of it, like he still ultimately in the hustler, he has one goal in life and that is to play in beats beat Minnesota Fats. And he in fact does that by the end of the movie, right? He has achieved his goal. Now you could say he peaks early and you know, it's all downhill from there, et cetera, et cetera. Right, but the fact of the matter is that you know, he went out and he achieved his goals and he's used to being the guy and I think that you know, we definitely... There's the archetype of character. There's two two types of character, right? There's the... Okay, I had my glory years and I'm ready to pass it and I just want to, you know, uh, teach the youth, you know, pass the baton to that next guy. You know, that would be sort of like a... uh I don't know, like a Rocky or something like that, right? But or like Creed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'd be yeah. yeah, that'd be fair. And then um you've got but then you've got those guys also where it's the archetype of like I do know that I need to do this, but I'm kind of having trouble letting go and not being that guy. And I think that if anything it, there there's, you know, because I don't think this is a perfect movie. I think it's a very good movie, but I don't think it's perfect. And I do think right. that's one of the things that the script doesn't exactly go into enough. Is I think that I think that the filmmakers or Paul Newman specifically wanted to bring that out more so than the script gave them opportunities mm-hmm. to do that. Um, because again, I don't. I you, we we see him being a little bit reluctant. We do see him living in his old glory days. You know, he doesn't seem super stoked to be teaching these kids. Right. He feels it, it feels through his performance more like a life he's resigned to and accepted than he is like eager to begin this next stage. You know, do you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that happens to a lot of people in
2: that, you know, position it's accepting your fate and not, you know, having to progress from, um, you know, the, the the person that does it to the person that, that teaches it. I think that um, it's also very interesting. Something that, that it was around this time in the film that when Fast Eddie left Vincent's uh, character yeah. behind it, and then he went to go get glasses, which I thought was a hilarious. <laughs> <he> <laughs> well, and the, also, yeah, let's commuter. just color
0: in real quick, too. So, um, this whole thing is sparked by the fact that he goes out to. Uh, play some pool and hustle some people on his own and then ends up getting like double hustled by Forrest Whitaker that we brought up right. earlier. And he takes that incredibly hard and al- almost even – I almost thought it was almost like a sort of a petulant response, right? Like he's so us- – like 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 a guy who can't stand losing, right? Like who doesn't know how to lose graciously and instead of just saying like, oh, well, you know, boy, I sure have some things that I need to brush up on. He's like – I can't fucking believe that happened. I'm shit. Everyone's shit. Go away. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not coaching you anymore. I'm done with this. I'm done coaching you. I'm out. And it's like, bro, you 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 lost. It
1: happens, right? But maybe it doesn't happen to Eddie. Well, I think the thing is, Once again, I think this is where the hustler starts to inform the performance in that he didn't get to go out like, yeah, he had this goal and he achieved it, but it came at a great personal cost. Sure. Which is like Sarah's life. Mm -hmm. And also he did not get to leave his chosen career on his own terms. That's right. I think people who who go from, like you said, doing it to teaching it right. So back to audio engineering, um, my ears are going to give out probably in the next 20 years, not just from deafness. I just won't be able to hear the frequencies I can hear now at 33. And so you either hang on to Wait, it. How, how many more years? <laughs> Ryan needs to do some math. I'll do the math. <laughs> <laughs> it depends though. Cause I do live concerts. So those are, allowed. that's fair. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, so, so my frequency hearing is not going to be what it is right now and it never will be again. And so, you know, there, you see it all the time. Uh, a, a musician we've already talked about on this podcast came through and his sound guy was awful. Cause he was a billion years old mm. and it sounded like crap, but he would refuse to give up the ghost. The next time that person came through our venue, he was the tour manager and he was not the front of house sound guy anymore. Gotcha. Uh, and it was sounded much better. Uh, even though he was an asshole, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think there are the people who come to terms with it and the people who don't and Eddie though he got forced out of it he didn't get to make, come to terms with it because he didn't get to set those terms he didn't get to retire gracefully he was literally like blacklisted from the sport yeah. and so when he gets hustled by Forrest Whitaker it's not just like reliving the glory days it like it it becomes the straw that breaks the camel's back because for all intents and purposes that we know as the audience this is the first game of pool in public that Eddie has played since the end of the hustler yeah um mm. so to I don't even think it's, like, I'm not good anymore. It's just, like, fuck, I had so much more time to do what I wanted to do, and I've squandered it. Like, that's how mm. I've read it, of, like, I I screwed up and wasted so much of my life being in fear of, like, George C. Scott and that whole crew of cronies that I wasted my glory years. And then interesting the rest of the film yeah. then becomes about Eddie. That makes it, sense. it shifts this perspective of like, it, then it becomes like how Eddie got his groove back. Well, that- and that's, <laughs> that's what
2: I was actually going to bring up a moment ago. And, and that is that uh, this was a, this point in the film was a stark reminder that to me, this was Eddie's story. This was a, mm-hmm. this is a continuation totally. of his character in the hustler. So yeah. it's very easy to get caught up in the fact that Tom Cruise is there. Um, just, you know, chewing it up and and uh kicking ass and and doing what tom cruise uh, does best and and to your point mj this was a rare chance uh you know to see him act again which is fantastic um but having not seen this film until now um you know it's just i was almost expecting this to be a passing of the torch film where paul newman existed solely as the connective tissue to the original to uh gi- give Tom Cruise the rise to be his you know and and that the focus would be on him he would be our yeah, protagonist it's like the
0: hustler 2 starring tom cruise oh, right, electric right. Boogaloo, right so <laughs>
2: um but quite the contrary uh yeah. the, you know it was a team a buddy movie they were introduced in the first scene together um not one after the other they were literally in the first scene together and then we were with them together throughout the film uh, but then, like you said, Eddie kind of goes off and, and finds his own redemption and, and finds his own way in this world. And so uh, that was kind of just a reminder that this is an, an Eddie story, not a Vincent story. I thought it yeah. was interesting.
0: No, totally. I mean, he's definitely our protagonist and, and much in the same way. I thought that Vince was going to be the protagonist of this film, but he's absolutely yeah. not. It's it's Eddie's film. It's Eddie's arc. And I think part of that, too, is we're just not used to seeing Tom Cruise in a supporting role. It's like, what? Yeah. He doesn't do supporting roles? What are you talking about? Yeah. 1986,
2: um, though, you know, I mean, this was, yeah. you know, Paul Newman was was coming off the, the sunset of his career at that time. And, and Tom Cruise was Tom who? Like, that was, yeah. Yeah. he hadn't done shit.
1: <laughs> so I think there's an important piece that we sort of skipped over at the beginning. Tom Cruise, or Vincent, works at a toy store yes. called <laughs> Child World. Uh, that is... <laughs> It was a real store, apparently. Really? But yep, that's there's a there's a Wikipedia entry for it. <laughs> but it is such an on the nose, um, like signal of where this film is going. Like, yeah, Eddie is bringing Vincent out of child world sure. into the real world of hustling, into the adult world. But wow, I hadn't even thought time... of that. That is so, <laughs> so ham-fisted. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but at the same time. Vince does the same thing to Eddie like he he's the the one who helps convince Eddie that he can't live in this fear anymore that I'm sure fucking George C. Scott has forgotten about this by now 30 years later and that he needs to stop living in this child world of fear of not going after his own goals or focusing on himself or trying to live vicariously through these other men he's tried to bring out of child world uh, for all intents and purposes.
2: Yeah. Can I can I ask a really dumb question? Um, and it's kind of on the on the same note of this or, or whatnot. Uh, uh, hold what on. Let's you, go what, to the
1: board.
0: Uh,
2: what? <laughs> yeah. They're
0: saying yes. Yes, you can. Go ahead.
2: Thank you. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the jury may proceed. Um, <laughs> so what do you think is meant by the title The Color of Money? Uh, well, what I do mean, you think th- that signifies? Th- what, think what did you guys, after seeing the film now, what do you think what's your takeaway on why this is called that? Is it obviously the color of money is green? Is there is this right. an envy thing? Uh jealousy thing of trying to uh, Paul Newman trying to be jealous of Vinny's uh, youth and Vinny trying to be jealous of um uh, Eddie's success or do you think yeah. it's just a a throwaway title because it sounded no. cool? <laughs>
0: no. Is there anything to no.
2: it? 'Cause it's based on a book by the same name. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That doesn't follow the same plot, by the way. Scorsese, uh kind of, you know, had his guy punch it up. But um yeah, I was just curious if there was anything to that.
0: I think it's kind of a yeah. reference to just kind of like hustling a little bit, you know, and it's like uh what goes into making the money, right? You know, like, oh, color in some detail, right? Like and so okay. it's like, okay, there's money, but then like Here's the, you know, detail of what goes into getting it. And here's the, you know, seedy reality of this. Which, by the way, I think it's funny that, like, once upon a time, gambling was looked at. Much differently than it is now, right? Like yeah. there's certain films in the 40s and 50s where it's like, and he revealed himself to be a gambler, and everyone's like, "Yeah, oh, a gambler! Oh no, oh my god!" Right? And everyone's now like, "Fucking, hey, we all gamble, dude. Life's a fucking gamble, yeah. right?" In the yeah. U.S., every day is a goddamn gamble. Download the <laughs> season. Stock Play. market recently.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. Well, I think if we look at Green, uh, what do we got? We got Green with Envy. So like, Vince, like Eddie being jealous of of Vince. Right. Um, we got green. Eddie's or Vince is green. Right. He's not. He's not a grown up yet. He's you know, okay. We, we talk about like yep. it's uh, amateur stuff. Also, green. Uh, we uh, associate that with like flourishing, like verdant. You know, fertile areas. And so it's 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 Eddie realizing that oh, his best best days may not be behind him yet. Like he can still flourish. He can still. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, Jason, like you said, the the, the very obvious like hustling and and you know the the in this world that's what's king like money money talks and that's it
0: yeah which is a fair question
2: yeah green is growth personal growth yeah 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 yeah. there you you go go. down the uh, go down the old rabbit hole quite a bit (laughs) now uh, MJ real quick uh you had brought something up I wanted to touch back on. We kind of gotten off topic, but um, is this. You seem to know a little bit more about Scorsese's early work. Uh, I have not mm-hmm. seen After Hours Cinematic okay. Confession, um, but is this one of the first instances that you could think of where Scorsese's using kind of playing against type with a celebratory rock song in the, uh, not to bring this back up again, but the werewolves of London track. Um, One thing that I have in my notes is that, um, you know, kind of a signature move of Scorsese's is to use these iconic upbeat, poppy rock songs mm-hmm. uh, kind of paralleled to some of the darkness that's going on at that, in that moment and playing against type. Uh, namely in my notes, I have uh, gimme shelter uh, in casino stood out to me. Also Layla kind of wrapping up Goodfellas, yeah. um, you know, so, uh, by the way, I think course, I read
0: something recently that he's used gimme shelter in six of his movies. Yeah, <laughs> really? I think so. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, but the yeah. stones are kind of definitely associated with his films. You kind of at a certain point, you can't really remove them. They're kind of part of well, his and DNA. He's
2: directed a lot of rock and roll stuff. We talked about The Last yeah. Waltz, but it, I think one of his uh, first projects was uh, directing the Woodstock documentary as well. Um, well, dude, remember we looked
1: it up and he did freaking bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Michael yeah, Jackson. yeah, yeah. He directed the. That's yeah, insane. He directed, he's <laughs>
0: yeah. in the video.
1: He's Is in the he? video for bad. Yeah, he uh, with, there's he's he's there's a part where that like zooms in on a wall and there's like a mugshot of a guy. He's the mugshot they. That's wha- awesome. Wow. That's Scorsese. Yeah.
0: Dude, he did that so much in the '70s, dude. Like, like, like Taxi Driver. He's like, I'm gonna be in it not once but twice, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> role and non-speaking cameo. Boom. Apparently. What's up? He in
1: this twice,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, in, well, including including the voiceover or yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. Where's the second time? I know he walks. I think he walks his dog. Yeah, uh, he's in, he's yeah. walking
1: a dog. Yeah. Yes. Oh,
0: mm-hmm. uh, I thought uh, I, I, and, I actually thought that was an Alfred Hitchcock joke. By the way,
2: I think his dog gets uh, credit in the uh, credits as well. I so
1: if we're counting the voiceover, he's in this three times. He breaks oh, wow. the rack at uh, one hour thirty minutes and twenty seconds. Okay.
2: Uh, by the way, Last Waltz also starts off with a uh, pool break, the same exact way, talking about uh, defining the rules of eight ball, which I mm. thought was uh, really interesting.
0: So, so like, there's definitely a, a not so latent aspect of Marty that like wanted to be an actor, right? Like, no question. Yeah. <laughs> like, if well, he's it could putting be that, in that many be, of his movies.
1: It could be a Hitchcock thing. Uh, yeah, maybe. He just loved Hitchcock.
0: Maybe I don't know.
2: Put his stamp on it. But yeah, Yeah, anyway, taking the conversation full circle, MJ, I just wasn't sure if this was like the first time that he had kind of done that with a big iconic, you know, rock song like Werewolves of London playing against type in a film or.
1: No, (laughs) uh, because Mean Streets is. uh, Is that
2: laden with rock songs as well like that? It's
1: yeah, there's a shit ton of stones. I think Gimme Shelter, I think Gimme Shelter, Street Fighting Man, and for sure the scene I'm looking at right now. Um, Jumpin' Jack Flash is, okay. is in that film.
0: So. And then, of course, there's the infamous uh, Birth of Our Christ scene set to uh, Bad Brains. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, Last, Last Temptation is
1: full of, full of Rolling Stones. And, yeah. yeah,
0: So uh, getting back to the film here, we have reached pretty much the third act where... Eddie decides that he's going to sign up for the tournament in Atlantic City, and lo and behold, it doesn't take very long for him to meet up with Vince and Carmen. They're sort of doing their own hustling thing. Carmen explains that they're doing very well for themselves, that, you know, it was the right thing for Eddie to sort of move on from them, and they were ready to sort of get out there and start doing their own thing, and... It's not going to take long for them. You know, we've got this whole. Well, first of all, let me back up. I do want to say that, like, I think, uh, you know, it's a one of the better shots of the film is uh, when he first walks into the uh, tournament scene and we see, like, all of the tables there, you know, within the competitive setting. And there's that, that nice overhead shot. And then mm-hmm. it sort of dollies back and around. And then we end up so like dope. with Paul Newman's head right right behind it. Yeah. The so rest dope. of it is such a great shot, man. I agree. And, oh, I love it. Yeah,
1: and um, uh, I mean he makes that he makes that thing feel like the fucking Roman Colosseum. It <laughs> uh, it's so cool, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. that's supposed to be a casino, right? I mean,
2: it looks like a mm-hmm. uh, high school gymnasium or something yeah. at the time. Or uh, yeah, I, I, I thought. By the great... way, do
0: you, do you guys know? Like, was that post like the the death of Atlantic City? Because like. I, I'm not familiar enough with Atlantic City, but he, he distinctly walks into a casino that has, like, no lettering and, like, the lights don't really seem to be on. Right. So like that
2: That's more or less what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah. so I, I'm not sure if they have hours there, if it's not a 24-hour city. is It looks like a like, rec center. But I know that eventually Atlantic City died, basically, and so I don't know if that was, like, the last vestiges of the city or it Maybe. was hanging on. I, I, I don't know if you guys have any color on that or not. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, not not sure. either. But either way, you know, so they get placed. And of course, you now, know, I grew in up way- in Atlantic City. Texas, and <laughs> <I'd like> to- <laughs> uh, by the way, can you uh, do, do you have like a, a latent Atlantic City accent that you've been trying to work hard over the years to uh, cover up? And do you want to let it out now?
2: I mean, I think that's just a Jersey accent, isn't it? Like uh, Tony Soprano or something along those lines. Pretty that's much. What I would imagine.
0: All right, Ryan. I'm gonna try again. Ryan, can you do a New Jersey accent for us right now, live on air?
2: No, I will not. God,
0: do that. MJ, <laughs>
1: I got nothing, man. Sorry.
0: Ah, uh, you guys suck. Okay. Ah, uh, well, I'm gonna have to hit you guys back with uh, some other even weirder accent later. But either way, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what the the whole nature of the Atlantic City conditions were at
1: the time. But either way, they are. It seems like this would have been during a boom. Um, it, it, so, according to this, uh, legalized gambling didn't happen in Atlantic City until 1978. Uh, oh, um, okay. Literally 10 years to the day before I was born. Wow. Hey. Um, May 26, 1978. Uh, so, but according to this. Tyson had most of his fights in Atlantic City in the 80s, and, like, you know, oh, wow. Tyson was a big fucking deal. So. Yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah. Interesting. Well, either way, so, you know, we've they've, they've got this tournament going on, and we see Eddie and Vincent both making their way up the ranks pretty quickly. And, of course, what's going to happen before long? They're going to get placed against one another. I forget if it's, like, the semifinals or the finals, but they're put up against one another, and they are, you know, going to set up this sort of big dramatic finish. And by the end of it, Eddie is the one that will have won. Or did he? Because it actually turns out that (laughs) Vincent had a little scheme of his own, right? So, you know, Eddie wins the match. Vincent, you know, takes his loss gracefully. We get that nice little moment where Eddie's walking away and he, like, goes outside and does, like, a little fist pump. And he's super stoked for himself. And, you know, he's chilling with his GF in the hotel room. Everything's good. Who shows up but Carmen to deliver an envelope of money letting Eddie know that they totally tanked the match for the purposes of gambling, thinking that he would be proud of them because they finally accepted his hustling ways but of course his own pride can't get past the fact that he didn't win fair and square and that's just going to eat at him raw, right? The same way that young Eddie and the hustler just wanted someone's best game we see that in Vince, right? They're both, they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it for the love of the thing itself. In this case, the sport, you know? And I think that's a theme, obviously that we can all relate to where, you know, when you're when you're young and, you know, before the financial constraints of the world set, uh, are set on you, you can just think about fun things like art and movies and not have to worry about all that stuff. But, uh, we get away from that pretty quickly. And so Eddie just can't hang with this, basically. He, you know, he still advances into the finals and he's going to, during the middle of the match, just forfeit when he realizes that he didn't get there fair and square. And he just, you know, kind of like walking off into the ocean, right? Just kind of takes his stuff down, breaks down his cue uh, and lets the ref know that he's forfeiting, walks over, gives the envelope of money back to Vincent Carmen and walks off. And that's going to sort of set up the end sort of final sequence and scene. And I want to see what you guys have to think about how effectively this does or doesn't wrap things up. And basically what happens is Vince returns for this one-on-one at Eddie's request, basically. He Eddie, Eddie wants to play him, but Vince is like, ah, you know what? Like, I've come a long way. I'm not on your level anymore. Like, I don't really want to play you, blah, blah, blah. And Eddie's like, just play me. Just play me. Like, I need the closure. You know, we got to do this. Um, and also because Eddie's sort of like, you know, MJ, you mentioned it earlier, like how Eddie got his groove back, right? Like, Eddie's kind of feeling confident. And I think he wants to see, like, what he has left in the tank. And he knows Vince is what Vince claims to be. And I think he wants to see, like, can I still hang with this kid? Because I feel like I can now. I feel like I got it back. And eventually, Vince agrees to play him, and as they, you know, rack him up, uh, Eddie gets the break, and as he unleashes one of his signature strong breaks, he says, I'm back, and we get the freeze frame finished that Scorsese would come to love so well. And what do you guys think about that ending, right? Like, do you think that, do you think it's supposed to be implied who of the two of them won? Do you think it's supposed to be ambiguous? Do you think it doesn't matter? Uh, What's sort of your take on the ending? Let's go ahead and start with Ryan.
2: Yeah, I mean, the closure is there, right? Um, Lessons have been learned. The whole thing kind of came full circle. Um, It's not about who wins or loses. That's kind of what we had to learn throughout the game. That's, I mean, that's kind of what what Eddie was trying to teach Vinny all along, right? It's talent versus control. And the patience of and, and the importance of losing and how that can sometimes be more valuable than winning itself, depending on how it's done methodically. So all that to say, I don't think that who wins or loses on this game, because he's talking about if I lose this game, I'll see you in New Orleans. If I lose this game, I'll see you in Denver or whatever. He lists off all these cities where tournaments were being played, uh, meaning it, it, to me, the closure was that uh, Eddie was able to get back in the game and and kind of uh, learn his lessons and, and get that resolve that he had wanted. Um, and then he had stepped up and gone the other way. So they kind of met in the middle maturity wise. And, uh, the movie was able to find that, that closure and move on. And so who won or lost that game doesn't really matter. It's more that Eddie's back, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> MJ, how yeah, about you?
1: It's, it's a very Rocky three ending, right? Um, <laughs> it's almost exactly the same ending as Rocky. III. Uh, Arguably Rare.
2: the be- the best Rocky with Clubber Lang.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, which came out... <laughs> Blasphemy. Uh, six... To four, four years earlier, so... We're,
0: we're out here pitying fools. Go ahead, MJ. Uh-huh.
1: By the way, real quick. Rocky Four, yay or nay, MJ? Uh, Yeah, it's fine. No, yeah. it's good.
0: It's a yeah. garbage film. Continue. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> Just drop it out. Robot butler <laughs> my ass. Continue. Yeah. Uh, So... Yeah, I think uh, I think it doesn't matter. It, I think we would be remiss to talk about a Scorsese movie without talking about the Bible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think you can't divorce. Uh, this is the part where, like, you surprise. I'm a youth pastor. Uh, no, there. Although there was one point in my life where I thought I would be, uh, much <laughs> like Scorsese himself. So, um, and Tom Ephesians. Cruise, who was like
0: going full minister. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ephesians five twenty-five through thirty-one. So I am gonna read scripture on the podcast, but I think <laughs> I think it's important. I think I really do think you cannot divorce most Scorsese's work from his Catholicism. Uh, sure, is all over the fucking place. Um, so this is instructions for how your uh, household is supposed to be set up, uh, by which I mean husbands and wives, like a marriage. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy cleansing, uh, to make her holy cleansing her by witnessing with water through the word, present to her herself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, uh, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Uh, I'll skip ahead to verse 31, "For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one." Flesh. What does this have to do with Eddie and Vincent shooting a game of pool? I think the story is about the two of them leaving their father and mother and becoming the husband of playing pool professionally. Mm, um that's interesting. I think uh that it's 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 it, you know, it's them going through these trials to realize what their love is and they it comes back to pool. Right? That's what it yeah. says like uh you know the, the the verse says a man will leave his father and mother child world they're leaving child world right yeah. that's that's a man leaving his father and mother be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh like these this sport now is an extension of the two of them they are both on the tour for the foreseeable future they're going to be in New Orleans and Denver and Dallas yeah and-
0: no that's a totally interesting take man definitely appreciate that yeah uh- no definitely. I don't think uh, Ryan or I would have stumbled upon that. Uh, I'm sure, Ryan, much like myself, you were smoking a little bit there while he was reading the scripture, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, please don't go one or two longer. We're about to combust (laughs) over here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
2: it's an esoteric acid of a first. I I was raised very much uh, probably in a similar... Fashion and, you know, youth groups and going to Acquire mm-hmm. the Fire and all of that as a kid and going up yeah. to Hume Lake. Uh, oh, youth, yeah. Youth yep. camp <laughs> as a kid in California. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I get it. Uh, and I'm cool. all about that. And, you know, his um, Scorsese's uh, follow up to this was, as we said, uh, Last Temptation of um, Christ. Yeah. So it was yeah. very much on his mind, uh, the whole Contemplation of religion and all of that, and yeah, um, it's
1: always on his mind. It's yeah, all over his DNA. It's all, it, yeah. yeah, it's all over the place in his homography. Michael yeah. Jackson. I bad. mean, you know, he's yeah, an yeah. Italian American from New York,
0: right? Like, from what I understand yeah. of culture, it tends to be part of uh, part of their thing over there. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> little bit, <laughs> just a little bit, a <laughs> little bit. Um, <laughs> there's your but accent yeah. for you. That you. Hey, to do. we yeah. finally got it out of him <laughs> <laughs> Even if it was uh, just a little slight Robert De Niro. There. Even if it was just a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> and that's the color of money, though. Great discussion here. And uh, uh, MJ, as I told you, we would like to go out on two little sort of mini featurettes here at the end. Our first is called Three Adjectives, where you guessed it, we give our three adjectives. And yes, they can be hyphenated, so sometimes well more than three words will be used, after which point we're going to get an official rating of the star or grade variety. I will touch on that real quick before we ask you, so... I'll tell you what, Ryan, why don't you start us off with three adjectives? Uh, My first one is
2: quintessential. I think that there are a lot of Scorsese staples here. Um, But, uh, you know, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Um, You know, kind of going to my next one, which is I I have it uh, as phoned in. I. I don't mean that necessarily as a bad thing. I I love the fact that what we uh, kind of like I I think I kind of mentioned this earlier in the in the show that um uh, you know a phoned in Scorsese film is better than some of the worst of uh or, or best of uh, some of you know upstarts So or, you're or specifically referencing
0: the Scorsese's efforts then. As
2: Correct. Yeah, to, like, yeah, yeah. The acting. Right, right, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, because to me, this isn't a Scorsese film. This feels separate from that. This is like Scorsese adjacent, or like a um, a 2A, a, if you will, instead of like sure. a, a next one in the chronology. This kind of feels like he sidestepped out, um, and my third is uh, 80s goodness, because- I just love that Eric Clapton song so much and the Robbie Robertson score and those sultry saxophones. Uh,
1: We kind of had a little
2: bit of this in the Beast of War as well. It just felt so quintessentially 80s to me, the feathered hair and all of it. And uh, oh, man, I just I mean, yeah, I loved it so much. Awesome. Uh, how, How about you guys? MJ, what you got?
1: Yeah, so the first one I'm going to say is coke-fueled. Um, <laughs> it Accurate. just it just feels like cocaine 80s like uh, like every time I'm in Vegas, I always I've, I have yet to go. I keep telling my wife I'm like we we got to go to the Peppermill, um which features heavily in casino. Mm. Uh but the Peppermill is this like relic of just like cocaine 80s Vegas. Like it is <laughs> It is like Scarface barfed in that. (laughs) That Awesome. They Uh, should have
2: called it the sugar mill.
1: Oh, for real. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And it is like, it is like the last bastion of like, like it's, it's got a conversation pit, you know, which is the most cocaine invention ever. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, you know, while the movie... What was I
2: talking about again? (laughs) (laughs) A lot lot of people just saying that. I
1: don't know, (laughs) but hey, leave me alone out here. <laughs> while the movie doesn't feel explicitly driven by the cocaine the way like say new york new york does which sure. is a film that Scorsese says he says he barely remembers filming because of how much coke he was doing at the right. time um it definitely has that like aesthetic like that 80s cocaine aesthetic to it whether like it's on screen or not as far as like depicting characters mm. doing it it very much like colors in the world that the film uh it, uh uh Exists in sure, and uh, so number two, I would say energetic because I think the way Thelma Schoonmacher, who I can't believe this is the first time we're talking about her in this episode. <laughs> Wait, coke fueled and energetic at the same time, yeah, good that, yeah, good <laughs> that. Uh, but I think the the aesthetic is very coke fueled, and I think the energy comes from the editing of Thelma Schoonmacher, mm. who's obviously been, as Chris says, he's you know, go to yeah. editor for his entire career. I don't know if there's a single uh film of his she hasn't edited uh yeah the goat i mean i think she's incredible um just the way she can she can take that thing and make it feel like it's his voice while also putting her like you can see her editing across everything and be like oh i think thomas Schumacher edited that mainly because i'm watching a squirt movie <laughs> but uh uh yeah Ugh, gosh the way she she edits these uh these these montages of the 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 pool playing is so great it's so totally. like fun and like easy to watch. it's great um and then third uh, yeah, I'll hyphenate it as good adaptation um, so <laughs> it is it is a it is an adaptation. I did some math here um there's a lot of talk a lot of the time about oh you know we want original movies and we want you know everything's an i p or an adaptation, or a sequel, or whatever, right? People get on high horses about that. Mm. Martin Scorsese has made 26, I'm counting Killers of the Fire Moon, has yet to be released, but will be released in November of this year, uh, film. So, uh, currently he has made 26 uh, feature-length, narrative-driven films. This is not counting his documentary work. Yeah. Of those 26, 18 of them are adaptations, sequels, or remakes. Wow. That's crazy.
2: (laughs) I don't think I realize that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He he has almost no original work uh, as far as uh, someone came up with an idea and wrote it. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, and that's honestly, I mean, that's super, super common, especially the further back you go. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that anybody is going to question, you know, Stanley Kubrick as, you know, one of the foremost filmmakers in cinematic history. I think right. every single movie that he did was a book first, like like literally every single yeah. one. Um, yeah. So, you know, but that's not to say that you, you know, when you. Like, the book 2001 reads very differently from the way that the movie plays out, you know? And, you know, so it's not to say that he doesn't put a stamp on everything, but, yeah, I mean, he, he, and Kurosawa, I mean, that guy yeah. has, I would say, a large majority of his were adapted from work. So, so yeah, so, I mean, it's not, I think, I, I'll bet you if you actually break it down, uh, you know, especially with some of the more classic filmmakers, it's a lot more common than we might expect. Whereas now, you know, like, Chris Nolan's just doing everything from the dome. Right, right. So, yeah. yeah, very good. Yeah. So uh, and then for my three adjectives, I've got superbly acted. We didn't even mention mm-hmm. that uh, Paul Newman won the Oscar for this film. And I do think right. that it was deserved. Um, I th- thought it was a really strong, commanding performance. And really
1: this movie.
0: yeah, and I, there's a lot, you know, there's so there's some people out there where it's like, oh, you know, his performance wasn't that strong. And, you know, it's kind of one of those ones where they're can't get it to him later because they should have given it before. But uh, this was apparently his first win out of, like, seven nominations or something like that. Yeah. But, no, I mean, I think it was – I think that anybody else in this film, the film certainly suffers for it, right? Whether or not he had been Fast Eddie in The Hustler, just taking the color of money in and of itself, because I do think the characters are very different. Fast Eddie in The Hustler is, you know, this easy, pretty boy, you know, charming guy and – Here, you know, he's just this gruff, weathered old man. So superbly acted, engagingly photographed, right? There's a lot of energy behind the way that they chose to cover and especially with, you know, getting behind the billiards as they're kind of uh, going around the table and whatnot. And we talked about a lot of the energy behind his sort of push-ins and dolly movements and also character-driven. You know, we didn't talk about just this as a story. It's really about the characters. There's not really a ton of plot in this movie. And as a matter of fact, you can even argue that a lot of scenes kind of repeat themselves from a story perspective, though I do think that's part of the point, is it's like this guy just can't. There's literally just one lesson he needs to learn, and he's just so stubborn that he can't get past it, right? So it's definitely not something where, you know, you're going on a crazy plot driven adventure with a bunch of twists and turns. It's a, a very, very simple story at the end of the day. And we're here because, you know, we get to know the characters uh, quite intimately and all three of them do a great job coloring in their characters uh, necessarily and appropriately. And yeah, so superbly acted, engagingly photographed, character driven. Now, MJ, real quick. I'm going to give you the option and and also just in case we have any because I know we have some new listeners out there uh, you, may, you may if you've listened to the show before you may wonder why I give star ratings and Ryan gives grade ratings well that's because a long time ago we're going back to the first three episodes of season one uh, I would constantly queue up Ryan for a star rating and he would constantly give me a grade rating and I couldn't adjust my thinking to cue him up for a grade rating either so we just decided that I would give star ratings and he would give grade ratings what this means for you our guest is you can choose whether you want to do a star rating a grade rating or off the dome come up with some unique rating uh, you know system of your own so first we're gonna go to Ryan Ryan what is your grade rating for the color of money Jason and I are the uh, Fast
2: Eddie and Vincent of uh, podcasting. Just can't get on the same page. Still trying to learn those lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta do things our own way. (laughs) I gotta be the hot shot with the grade ratings. Jason's trying to teach me to, uh, you know. Um, Yeah, so, uh, dude, look. This is Scorsese. This is 80s goodness. This is old blue eyes Paul Newman. Tom Cruise acting his ass off. We haven't even talked about uh, Old Mary Syllables got a... uh, uh, yeah. Oscar Oscar nod for yeah. this as well. So also um, deserves. yeah, yeah Robbie Robertson, strong. like you said, the edit, the editing, uh, you got all of it in there. I just love this film. Um Is it his best? No. Is it the best thing I've ever seen? No. But I'm giving it an A anyways.
0: Wow. Strong, strong. Yeah. From Ryan. Ryan is stingy with the uh with the ratings here, but we've got two strong ones. Yep. Two song ones recently. I think you gave a A- to the Beast and a solid I A color of money. Hey,
2: man. I guess we're finding my uh, – Audiences my are weird.
0: coming through for us, man. we got to have more people. Apparently, we suck at choosing our own movies, and we just need the audience to choose movies for us from now on. My, my wheelhouse is Coke-fueled 80s films. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, MJ, uh, grade, star, or other, what you got? Uh,
1: I give it seven of nine pool balls
0: nice nice seven of nine so yes seven ninths uh i'm not sure what that reduces to but it's something complicated
1: um also (laughs) did you guys know that uh this movie inspired doom i did see that like the the game the video game
0: yeah i saw that in in the old trivia wow was do you know the connection
1: Yeah, so uh, Tom Cruise has a line where he says, In here, Doom. And I guess the guy who developed Doom, uh, Carmack, uh, John Carmack, he liked the way that line sounded. It says uh, the concept originally had a working title of green and pissed, but Carmack (laughs) soon renamed the proposed game Doom after a line... In the film, The Color of Money. Oh, it's when the guy—it's it's right when Tom Cruise opens run. up the pool
2: cue box. Yeah, and he's like, "What are you, what you got in there?" And Tom, Tom Cruise is like, oh, "In here, doom, doom." Yeah, and he yeah. opens it up and shows the uh, the Balstrontonio, whatever the hell the yeah. pool cue brand was.
0: Balabushka. Yeah, the
2: Balabushka. Balabushka. I was gonna say once again
0: coming through with that jersey. Hey, what you got in there? What
2: you got in there? Hey, yeah, you got one. It's the
1: bat. It's the bat. It's the bat.
2: <laughs> what is that? Doom in a box?
0: <laughs> That's a little Mark Wahlberg. Hey, hey,
1: what you got in there? Is that Doom you got in a there? box? Is that,
2: is that Doom in a box? Where I got I got one, one, two tree Dooms in the back. I, you got nothing.
1: Say hi to your mother for me.
0: <laughs> Dude, no, That's now we got to so do the high I. voice one. Hey guys, let's go! I got this real I got this real good ah, I don't can't think of the words, but (laughs) anyway.
2: You sounded like Clamp from Futurama.
0: You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I got this great plan, you just gotta hear me out, okay? I'm wondering. We're gonna break um, in, see?
2: I'm wondering what what but what butterfly effect that would have had if Doom came out uh, only titled as Green and Pissed. Green and
1: dude, Pissed. That's a way better title than Doom. I gotta be honest. I like that way more. I wonder what
2: world we'd be all living in.
0: Yeah. No, dude. Honestly, it would have it would have fucked the title over because, like, how many like hysterical early '90s moms would have bought their kids a, a, a game called Green and Pissed? Right.
1: Yeah. yeah so yeah. few of
0: them. Right. So few. It's called it Doom. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, and personally, you know, uh, one did of you the give things... a? Did you give a grade rating? Oh, I didn't no. give a. I didn't give my star rating. Did I? <clears throat> <Nope. clears throat> Come on, tighten up, buddy. <laughs> kind of ship you run here. Yeah. Uh, old, old Jason over here giving this a solid four out of five stars. Uh, exactly ah, four nice. stars. Yeah. Uh, hey. Again, really, really enjoyed it. Um, uh, I do think it's a little bit. Like, I wouldn't say it's lesser Scorsese. See, I think this is the problem, is I think that we have a tendency, we being like uh, society at large, American public, consumers of art, whatever, where we're always holding everything to the utmost example of that thing right and so it's like okay if it's not the best thing ever it's crap right and there's Mm -hmm. so little in between so I think that when people say it's a lesser Scorsese film if you're if you're asking me like I am not going to put it in that top tier that would be like taxi driver uh, raging bull Um, arguably Last Temptation, you know, um, uh, one or two others. Right. But it's like it's like in that second tier for me. Right. But that's the thing, like really damn good is still really damn good. And not everything has to be a five star, 10 out of 10 masterpiece to be able to be enjoyed and appreciated. So I think, you know, an eight out of 10 film is totally solid. Like, I've you know, Ryan, we've discussed Way many films, uh, a whole number of films that have we given less than four stars to, you know, Uh, even the keep that we finished on was just a fucking slog. Right. But this engaged me the whole time. Right. Uh, To use an infamous Ryan line like I didn't pick up my phone. I was uh, I was engaged the entire time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) you know,
2: going back to your first adjective, I do believe uh, a lot of that is because it's well acted. It's a character driven film. Uh, It's well edited, well paced. It's just a good film. Soup to nuts. Nothing outstanding. It doesn't set mm-hmm. any, you know, land speed records, but uh, I enjoyed it all the way through. And, and MJ,
0: thank you again for the recommendation on this yeah, one. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. MJ, once again, before we bail, why don't you tell people where they can find you and your podcast?
1: Yeah, so um, at MJSmith891 on Twitter. I'm too active on there. Uh, you can find, that's my personal <laughs> page. Uh, Real Perspective and Let's Jaws for a Minute, you can find on... Um, any podcatcher, um, I think it's on everything. It's on Spotify, uh, you know, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, also, I didn't talk about it earlier, but Real Perspective is a more traditional, like current release movies and TV shows, pop culture podcast. Pretty straightforward. Um, nice, but I think we have, uh, you know, pun intended, I guess, unique perspectives on what's going on. So uh, it's been a little, a lot slower as far as release stuff goes, just because we're trying to figure out how to do it remotely. And um, I don't know if you guys know. World's been kinda weird the last couple of years, so not a lot out. <laughs> a little has bit. A little bit. Uh yep. So <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. uh yeah, the most recent episode is about season four of Cobra Kai. Um but we might have a Batman episode coming up. So
0: cool. Right on, right on. Well, yeah, and so for everyone else, um hopefully you are listening to this off season of Esoterica Cinema. We've got some fun stuff that we've been releasing. If you haven't, go back and check out. We've got our new five-minute review series where Ryan and I Review movies in 10 minutes because that's an Esoterica Cinema 5 minutes. Uh, we got to give ourselves a little bit of padding there. We have got, uh, if uh, it hasn't come out yet, we've got a Neon Genesis Evangelion discussion on tap. Uh, not Haven't exactly worked out, so hopefully that's out. If it's not out yet, it will be soon. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we have been bringing to you just while we sort of bide our time and get ready for season three, which should be right around the corner We are going to have our new master list. We're going to update the website with that very shortly. Make sure that if you're not yet, you give us the subscriptions, like, follow, etc. All that stuff. We sure do appreciate it. It's a great way that you can help support the show. And of course, we love to hear from you. So Instagram and Twitter at Esoterica Cinema. Let us know what you think about this and other episodes. Let us know what films you would like to see us cover. Yeah. Other than that... I think that about wraps it up. So thanks again for hanging out with us and discussing the color of money. We'll see you again on Esoterica Cinema.